Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with, oh yeah. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with, yes you did. You made it with, you made it weird. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? This is uh, Miller Davis, a very, very funny and talented man who every time I see him, and I run into him quite frequently, we have a wonderful conversation. And it's almost every single time we talk, we end up talking forever. And I go, why aren't we recording this? So it's kind of, uh, you know, in the sense that he's not a stand-up, a deviation of form, but he is a wonderful writer. He's been working on some projects. He's wrote on uh, Tosh, and he's writing with T.J. Miller, uh, his cousin and uh, collaborator, to uh, make some things, we talk about that in there, and you're just gonna, you're gonna love it. Miller is the guy that told me about the singularity, so I mean, come on, that that's enough right there. Uh, the a couple things to talk about up top: we have a new sponsor, uh, which is pa- Sock Panda. I was gonna say Panda Socks. Come on, it's Sock Panda, and Sock Panda just sent me a big old box of socks. And I don't know if any of you watch my talk show, but I love uh, like different, cool, fun, fun. Fun. Fun socks, guys. I don't know. There's something about it. In the morning you put on drab socks, you're like, I'm going to have a drab day. And you put on fun socks, you're like, maybe I'll have a fun day. And Sock Panda are some of the coolest, most comfortable and uh, fun socks that I've ever seen. And thank you for sending them, first of all. Second of all, I love them. Uh, They pass all my sock, you know, protocol in that they look good, they feel good, and they go up high enough and they stay there. I sound like an old man, but I care about that shit. Do you understand? And I know that you don't like shopping for socks. It's a boring reason to go to the store, and it's just a sad day. And what are you going to find? Just dull black, white, everything else that regular people are wearing? Bullshit. Get into SockPanda.com. With a subscription to SockPanda, you get crazy, fun, and unique socks designed to start a conversation, mostly about socks, delivered right to your door each month. Get ready. People are going to be like, where you get those cool socks? And you'll say, Sock Panda. You can also do uh, some good by signing up because with each subscription, Sock Panda, dig this, donates a pair of socks to someone in need. Sockpanda.com, the perfect fit. Uh, perfect fit, that's true, but also the perfect gift. They have socks for men, women, and children, so check it out. And when you go to Sockpanda.com, use the coupon code WEIRD for 15% off. It's pretty dope. So Sockpanda.com, use the coupon code WEIRD. 15% off, and thank you, Sock Panda, for the socks, and thank you for supporting the show. Only a couple tour dates coming up, uh, but March 9th, the day that this comes out, if you are in L.A., I'm going to be at Largo tonight doing stand-up with some friends. It's going to be wonderful, special guests, Jamie Lee, Greg Fitzsimmons. It's always uh, the highlight of my month. I hope you can be there. And then I'll be back at Largo on March 29th with Rob Bell, the spiritual teacher and author and one of my best friends. And we do a show where we talk about uh, transcendent, non-dual God things. It's very fun. It's always different. And I hope you can come to that. Always a thrill. And then uh, it's looking like it might be my last show in L.A. for a while. April 15th, I'm going to be at the Improv doing a charity show for Real Girl. Uh, You know, uh, is Valerie, my girlfriend's uh, charity. And I was happy to uh, do this show with them. We're going to get as many amazing special guests as we can come out. It's a, it's a pricey ticket, I think. It's a little bit more than a regular show. But it all goes to this wonderful charity, which is going to be so, so cool. So April 15th at the Improv. And we have uh, another sponsor, which I'm very happy about. 
Speaking of wonderful, uh, wonderful things I've been sent, Harry's, you guys know Harry's, the shaving company, they sent me my complimentary kit and I've used it and I love it. Harry's.com, since I've used them, is so easy to use. It's so, uh, you'll get familiar with it the first time you use it, boom, done, into it. Guys, I know good things come in set of threes, so what does that have to do with anything? Get this, March is the third month of the year and it also happens to be our friend over at Harry's three-year anniversary as a business. And if you're new to Harry's, I've got a special deal for you. You try three of their expertly crafted five-blade German razors, a handle, and shave cream for just 10 bucks with the offer code WEIRD. March 3rd, third month, well, not March 3rd, third month, third year, get into it. 10 bucks, you get all that good stuff. Uh, I love these blades. It's so stupid to go to the store, just like the socks. Stupid to go to the store just to buy overpriced blades that run out and you gotta throw them away and you're afraid they're giving you strange diseases. Get in line with Harry's and get this stuff. It's the best shave you're gonna get. It's German, it's five blades, it's super sharp, it provides a close, comfortable shave, and it's fast. Puts you in a good mood first thing in the morning. I went to the drugstore the other day in the razor aisle. You have to ask someone to unlock that. You have to know someone at Rite Aid. You have to have a, a contact so they can let them out of their, that little glass prison, like a Superman prison. And then you have to pay like $73 for five crappy razors. No, no more. Harry's is the only shaving company that has both amazing quality and low prices. Again, German engineered five blade cartridges. Cartridges, close, comfortable shave, no cuts, no burn. Quality guaranteed, full refund if you're not happy. Factory direct prices, that means you're cutting out the middleman, you're getting rid of the need to know somebody at Rite Aid to let you into that special compartment, and it ships right to your door. Sell their blades at half the price of the leading brand, that's what they do. Don't you do that, that would be stupid, you'd be opening your own company. They sell their blades at half the price of the leading brand. Over one million guys have already made the switch and thousands more switch every day. And if you're like my girlfriend, you're also shaving your legs with it. Let's be real. Lady razors are just dude razors, but they're pink. Get out of my face. All right, guys. Why pay 32 bucks for an eight-pack of blades when you get them for just half the price at harrys.com? The starter kit is all you need. It's an amazing deal. For 15 bucks, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. Harry doesn't like it to discount their prices because they're already really low. But we've worked out a special offer for you guys, for the listeners of the show. Harry's will give you five bucks off your first order with promo code WEIRD. So stop overpaying for a great shave and go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Don't put the apostrophe in there. Guys, it's 2016. You know web browsers don't want apostrophes. It's probably like some code for, like, don't delete the cookies. And you want to delete those cookies, especially, you know. Enter code WEIRD at checkout. H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. WEIRD at checkout. Get into it, guys. All right, I hope to see you. This is the longest intro we've ever done. Hope to see you on March 9th or the 29th or on April 15th. Get into Miller Davis. I hope you enjoy it, you sassy sassafrasses. Get into it. I had coffee. Can you tell? Uh, this really is the longest intro ever. One thing I forgot, our good friend, one of my dear friends and a friend of the podcast, Duncan Trussell, is going on tour the end of March through all of April, Boston, Philly, Asheville, New York, Washington, D.C., and like 25 other dates. They're all at his website, so go support Duncan Trussell. He's amazing. He's changed my life, and he's so, so funny. Go see him. Get into it. Milieu. Hi, friend. How are you? Nice to see you. This is the guest here. If you don't mind. Fantastic. If you don't... <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> this is how I start every show. <laughs> if you don't mind. Do you remember when your voice changed? Um, yeah, vaguely. I still feel like I have kind of a high voice. You do, Abby. I was going to say. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, uh, not that there's anything wrong with having a high voice. Uh, Duncan Trussell and I were just talking about how he still, to this day, is mistaken for a lady when he calls, like, a, say, a department store. Granted, uh-huh. he's asking for perfume and laundry. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth floor. <laughs> nice. Is it? Oh, I don't know. It would be great if you knew that. Uh, but do you, 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 you don't have a high voice. Say something. Hi, my name is Miller Davis. That's not a that's that's nice. Yeah, it's a little. It's nasal, a tenor. I think <laughs> it's a tenor. Are you a tenor? I have no idea. I've never really done any professional singing. <laughs> tell me one way or the other. That's a fair point. Uh-huh. That's a fair point. I was in a. I was in a. Um, first of all, you're very welcome. Oh, thank Thanks you. for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course, we've been wanting to do it because every single time I see you. We have just what I no, no pressure. Uh-huh. We just have a wonderful conversation. Yeah, we really do. I think it's it's a testament to kind of the range of things we're interested in. Yeah, you got a lot of those. You you like you're always recommending books. Yeah, I'm just now remembering. So you're you like read things that I'm not reading. I try to. And you're I try to know what you read and then <laughs> read other things. <laughs> I don't think unless you're reading uh, Ram Dass books, you're, you're fine. Yeah, I you're don't not, read it. Yeah, you're not going to get any of my <laughs> my stuff in there. Uh, like I remember last time I saw you uh, was uh, you told me about a Philip K. Dick book. No, uh, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Pardon me. Yeah. What was that one again? I haven't read a ton of Philip K. Dick. I I, I enjoy his stuff, but. You know, he's one of those guys that, like, you watch a movie that was... He's kind of like the Charlie Kaufman of sci-fi. Yeah. You know it's going to be interesting. Totally. It's going to have, like, a a peppering of uh, paranoia. You know what I mean? Like, he likes... Some sort of social message to kind of have the backbone of the science fiction. Yeah. What is it that's so... Maybe it's just me... But whenever, like, A Scanner Darkly, which is Mm -hmm. based on a Philip K. Dick uh, book, Um, I was going to say masterpiece, but I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, sure, yeah. Yeah, okay, Philip K. Dick masterpiece. Uh, He's dead, right? (laughs) I I think so. I assume so. (laughs) I think he's dead. Yeah. If Katie were here. Oh, she's back. Hey, Katie, will you Google if Philip K. Dick is dead? <laughs> yeah, we just want to know. But what is it like whenever I see uh, uh, people like doing a lot of drugs and tweaking and like getting paranoid mm-hmm. and freaking out that someone's listening to them and watching them and they're afraid. Died for their, in 1982. Died in 82. He's been Goodness. long dead, long flaccid. I wasn't even alive when he passed. Really? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I had it ready. But do do you, you know, I think maybe we're all a little bit paranoid. Totally. There's like a naturally occurring base note of paranoia in all of us. Yeah. And then when we see people and it gets the best of them, do you ever catch yourself like (laughs) seeing someone like, uh, get nauseous on a boat, and you're mm-hmm. not nauseous. Yeah. And there's a part of your dumb brain, it, it, I'll just speak for myself, that goes like, oh, well, they, they couldn't keep it together. Like, you think no, you're totally. better. Right. So if you see a stoner they don't flipping have the fortitude. out. Yeah, they don't have the stock. Right. And I think there's a paranoia stock, too. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, no, I always am like, I think everybody's like a bad day away from just totally losing their shit, you know? <laughs> kind of a falling down scenario. I think it is interesting that, you know, in, t- in uh, interrogations, certainly uh, the idea of torture and pain yeah. is interesting. But there are also, we're so vulnerable, certain mm-hmm. days, just certain... I've said many times uh, that the CIA could interrogate me effortlessly if they studied this podcast because it's so clear what my you'd li- you could listen to one episode at right. random and be like I know how to get this guy. you know what I mean and like go in and get me because uh, just like one little thing will rub me the wrong way and set my whole day kind of skidding. Yeah, if I have if I even like have nightmares or something or anxiety I, dreams, you, I'll wake up and I'll be like the day is ruined. I'm not going to come out of this. It's gonna. I'm going to have trouble writing. I've never had someone say something that I uh, think so often, which is, for me, the biggest one is if I have sex dreams, yeah. I'll wake up horny. That sounds so yeah. obvious. Totally. But it was a dream. Why should it be affecting me still? Because I, I, I don't know. But if I don't, like sometimes I'll look at like a, a sexy Instagram account or something. Right. I don't hide this from Valerie. It's just like I'm trying to have... Dirty dreams. Like I wanna, I wanna <laughs> dream about uh, beautiful women or whatever. Sure. Hey, that's my time. Right, right. <laughs> you know, because it affects. Think about it, but no one's talking about it, Miller. You brought it up. Infinitely grateful for that. What you're dreaming and churning and grinding away at for, let's say, of the eight hours you're sleeping, maybe there's four hours mm-hmm. of deep REM dream stuff. I'm just making that. Sure. Up. You're. Having anxiety dreams, of course you're going to wake up and be like, well, I don't even trust myself. Or Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely you're going through stuff that you are trying to understand in your waking life, you know? Yeah. But also, like, if I'm being chased by someone through a maze and I can't move fast enough, if that happened in real life, yeah. like, that's, that's a lot of stress and anxiety. Yeah, you'd need some therapy. And you believe that that's going on while you're dreaming, at least in some way, you know? I I'm fascinated with that. All, all the, last night I dreamt that I was in a bar, and uh, with Danny McBride, and he was pouring tiny beers. So they were like <laughs> shot glasses, but they looked like pint glasses of Guinness. Okay, That's fun though. And that he was pouring. Like fun. Oh no, there's nothing wrong with this dream. I'm in a good mood though. <laughs> yeah. And he's pouring tiny beers. Whimsical. And we're drinking them like shots, but they're beers. I don't even like beer, but in the dream, and there was also this understanding that in the dream it was a movie. So it was like we were pretending we were hungover, but we were really drinking tiny beers. Uh-huh. It was so weird. You never get that feeling? Like it, in the dream, there's another level of awareness. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, everyone's pretending. Like you kind of. Well, I used to be able to uh, to kind of have more lucid dreams. Yeah. And that's the most fun, you know? Now when you cooking. can Now you can like, you can take over the things and you're like, I know I can't jump over this building, so I yeah. must be dreaming. I'm just going to keep jumping until I get too high, and then I get afraid, and I'm I wake up. And you wake up, yeah. Well, we talk. Have you, I don't know if you've heard me talk about lucid dreams, or if you and I have talked about lucid dreams. Probably so that's a big thing for me because uh, I think there's a parallel to reality. I think that that's a small enlightenment, and I don't mm-hmm. even mean in a, necessarily in a mystical way. But when you realize you're dreaming in a dream, just this tiny taste of what it might be like 
for someone in this reality to go like, oh, like all the stories we love, uh, The Matrix or right. Lucy more recently. Yeah. These people that go like, oh, no, this is an illusion and you guys right. are just pretend. Like we all have that. I can see things in the fourth dimension now or exactly, whatever Exactly, yes. You just get keyed into this new s- one sense kind which, of changes everything. Which we're aware of. Like mm-hmm. Einstein talking about coming about the theory of relativity and all this stuff, not using his rational mind but his imagination. Right. Are we going to high five for that? Absolutely. <laughs> I kn- we're aware yeah. of other shit that's going on, and we forget it all of the time. Like we totally. forget it all the time, and and I lose it all the time, and it's just and it's a preciousness and a specialness. Do you think that it goes? Do you think the children have more of that? They have this probably, idea yeah. the, of like because they don't know what kind of what real is yet. Yeah, yeah. the real could be anything. That's right. I can be a giant smashing these ants, or yeah. I can be in a treehouse as a pirate, and yeah. it's like, who cares? They're they're completely tapped into the game of it, and yeah. they're also, I think they're less aware of time. They're less aware, oh. you and I are so uh, <laughs> spread out, that we, let's just, I just mean our awareness when I say yeah. our consciousness, just our living minds, mm-hmm. okay? So we're just so aware one of the things that breaks my heart the most is when I catch myself doing sleep math. But that's one of the things you do is you go, okay, last night it was 2 in the morning. Yeah. And I was like, I need to go to bed because I need to get up and I need to do this podcast. Right. And then I'm doing Doug Loves Movies and then <laughs> whatever the fuck. <clears throat> so we start getting this idea of your energy being precious yeah. and your sleep <clears throat> being precious. And kids, this is why kids are always like falling asleep in cars <laughs> and like collapsing on you rugs. Just carry them like just through a supermarket. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because they were tapped into – well, they, going back to dreams, whenever you're in a dream and, and the times you've lucid dream, let me know if this is true – you're often very fascinated. You're mm-hmm. very in the moment. You're never in a dream wishing things were other than they were, except for maybe Tormentor or someone's chasing yeah. you or whatever. But in a lucid dream, that's great because you can go, when I was Now a kid, you're not chasing me. Yeah, exactly. Now you're not chasing me. But you literally talk about there's an understanding that we're putting on a play. Yeah. You can be like, you can stop chasing me. Thanks for being I'm here. I'm going to go ride a jet ski. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I'm going to fly away. I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been dreaming that something perilous talk about that low level paranoia that we're all experiencing mm-hmm. that manifests in the dream of something chasing you something after you um, I was just playing the Tomb Raider game and, and it was just so interesting and I was watching a, a documentary about the cartel why yeah. do we love these things about horrible things these unstoppable forces any yeah. Coen Brothers movie where there's a death character yeah Fargo, where it was Billy Bob Thornton, I mean the series. Right. Obviously in Fargo there were death characters as well. Obviously no country for old men. Mm-hmm. The unstoppable but somehow rigorous in their ethic. Yeah. Like very uh, well, it's regimented. Also like early slasher movies and all of those. Jason and all of those guys. Yeah. They had kind of an uh, an ethos that they were following. That they were That's going right. to kill these people who represented this thing to them. That's right. But they would kind of ignore other people. Freddy Krueger, exactly. Freddy Krueger needed you to believe in him, mm-hmm. needed you to give him power. Mm-hmm. Because, the uh, because okay, if we're saying that all of these things are death, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why, even as I watched the, it was called Cartel Land. It, it, I just saw that. I felt every feeling. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a pretty intense. Every feeling. Movie. Because it's just like humanity 
is really just barely hanging in there. Well, talk, like. talk about I, – I was challenged by it because I was like, I have this podcast where I sit around and I ask people if they drink kale and how many naps they take. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, my God. Right – Right that way, whichever way is south, just uh-huh. a little bit south of us, are people that it's like, oh, we didn't pay the tax that the cartel asked for us from our lime farm. Right. How much money could that have been, by the way? And I mean, then they're already getting carted up here and it's 39 cents a lime. They can't uh, be selling it for that much. That right? can't be that much, right? So, what was the cartel asking for? This is breaking my, my heart even to relive it, but they killed uh. this entire family, like babies and children. And I was like, oh, shit. The the reality is so different for so many of us. You know what yeah. I mean? Obviously, I just, that's obvious. But I mean, I also wonder. It's like, is that is that just kind of like the natural end game of capitalism? Like, if there were no restrictions and all of that, is what the drug trade exists as in Mexico? Is that what it would be? Where it's just people being like, I can kill you, and you can't stop me from doing that, so I'm going to do that and make money off your death somehow. You mean like that's almost the wet dream of capitalism? That's like the like pinnacle co- of it. Coca-Cola wishes it right. could be like, drink more Coke or if face If you drink doom. Pepsi, we'll, we'll yeah. hang you. <laughs> well, that's very fucking interesting. But also, secondly, I think, I really, I'm getting into, I'm tripping out more lately on how life itself is a metaphor. For everything. Okay. I, I've been literally jizzing in my pants, not literally, but <laughs> reading books and looking at movies, anything with a different lens. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of people probably went to better schools than I did, um, specifically talking about my college. Like, I just kind of, yeah. like, missed out on college because <laughs> I was singing youth group songs yeah. and rolling in the fields but not touching any boobies. Uh, <laughs> that so, was more my high school experience. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm late. <laughs> yeah, I'm 36 and I'm having conversations that mm-hmm. I should have been having when I was 26. But that's fine. We're all where we are. Of course. But uh, what was I saying? We're talking life about, is a metaphor for oh, itself. and life is a metaphor, right. Okay, but what was the metaphor? What were we saying before that? Excuse me. Um, we were talking about the nature of the end game of capitalism. Yeah, end game of capitalism, drink Coke or die. Oh, okay. So obviously the cartel is real. Yep. I'm not saying it's not. Uh, who would? Right. It's real. You can we see, should not say it's You should not say it's not real. It is a real thing, <laughs> yeah. and it's very scary. And interestingly, even though it's reality, you can look at it. What is? Why are we watching documentaries about it? Mm-hmm. And I think like a dream, there's a metaphor in there. There's something like in the dream, the guy chasing you isn't really a man chasing you. Mm-hmm. It's some regret that you had when your mom asked you to help her with breakfast and you said, no, I want to sleep. And you still feel guilty about that right. because you were too psychologically undeveloped. So you're having this dream mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck it was. Similarly, cartel real, but... Even in reality and even in a documentary, which is supposed to – I put that in quotes because it's supposed to be – it is, but it's supposed to be a, a representation of reality. You can still apply the lens of metaphor and say, ah, the cartel, unstoppable, huge, mm-hmm. violent, uncaring, sociopathic. That makes me – this is somehow salving my fear of death or helping me confront my fear of death because the truth is there's a cartel after all of us. Do you think that? Do you think that throughout history there has been – something that has existed in that way for everyone. That there has to be something like that in our lives in order for I us so. to have a relationship that's healthy with death and I absolutely life. think so. This is why it freaks me out the people that only watch Disney movies. 
Yeah, you know I mean? totally. Because Disney movie, you know, you don't even see Bambi die. Show me the blood. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. right. But, I, but you need – it's clearly – I was thinking that, like, we should almost check in with death more free. I would say more frequently. We have Halloween. Yeah. But that's, I, that's gotten really kind of homogenized, I think. I mean, Absolutely. back in the day, they were like – the three-year-olds go out and trick-or-treat and beg for food, and they're dressed like actual ghouls, and we light candles for the deceased relatives. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Like, Day of the Dead seems a little bit more connected. Day of the Dead is not fucking around. No. Just, just like everything that seems to be happening in Mexico, <laughs> right, right. it's more in touch with their actual history. Right. Like, like, please don't fuck with us this year. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I remember a friend of mine, he, he's a white guy, but he grew up in Mexico, uh, because his family was were missionaries. I know a whole bevy of people yeah. <laughs> that are in that circle. So anyway, uh, my friend Jesse would tell me on the Day of the Dead, they would put food out and, and the ghouls would eat the food. Like, right. I, I mean, let's shave with old Occam's razor. Was <laughs> right. it dad eating the food or was it a, a stray dog? The chupacabra. Mostly, yeah. Was it a mythical chupacabra? <laughs> yes, it was a different myth. <laughs> a Bigfoot ate the food. It wasn't the dead. Right. Um, but there, there is something interesting about a culture that puts so much stock what, maybe believing in it more helps them exonerate well, those feelings more. Well, with with the relationship with death, Exercise. I've I've talked with my girlfriend. Um, we get it, you fuck. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, but we, uh, I talked about it, and I, there's these courses you can go take. The kind of like they're like mountaineering kind of survivalist courses where mm. you learn how to like forage and make fires and you catch animals and stuff like that. Wow. And I really wanted to go do that or go to a farm or something like that and to kill an animal not because i would think i would enjoy it but i really think that if i'm gonna eat meat and have a relationship like that with it i'd like to state for the record you brought this up not me (laughs) you brought this up this is just such a thing i talk about oh really the the death okay we take i'm sorry to interrupt please go back on what you're saying i'm just agreeing with you we take our dying old people and we put them in places called eternal pines yeah and we let them die there and we know that that's what's happening yeah it's like that great scene in the savages where phil hoffman is like people are dying you know what i mean (laughs) because that's what's happening and it doesn't matter how much lysol you you spray yeah granny shit herself when she passed and that's that's what death is that's what tuesdays with moray is teaching us it's like Mm -hmm. death is part of it it's all part of it and then We've taken cow corpses, and I'm not preaching, right? But they—that's literally what it is—the body of a dead right. living thing. And and if you become aware of that, yeah. Even if you still eat meat, but if you become aware of it, and you see it on the side of a bus, and you see a a, a close up on a quarter pounder with cheese, right? It's so interesting that not only has Halloween been homogenized and whitewashed, but so has. The death industry, the 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 killing of totally. animal industry, I mean, windowless factory farms. Even a ye- hundred years ago, I think uh, most people uh, were responsible because so many more people lived in rural areas. They were responsible for the food that they yes. ate, yes. and whether that be killing it or getting it from the butcher. I mean, we don't even see it from the butcher. We don't see them like shaving the animal apart or right. anything like that. It's just I in a package. That, I agree. That would have been. More tuned in. And I'm not even preaching veganism, although totally. I, I really love to. No, right, right, right. It's, it's an interesting topic to me because like the sleep awakening, it's another small enlightenment. Just when you yeah. start looking at – and believe me, there are many, many ways that I'm unenlightened. Many things I could learn about mm-hmm. like this, the cartel situation or where I got my clothes or yeah. who made my shoes. There's a million 
ones, and and we can only do as well as we can, and Absolutely. we're all doing as best we can. So I understand, and maybe maybe uh, veganism or whatever isn't the one for you right now, or, or mm-hmm. whoever's listening. But uh, I forget what I was going to say. There's there's something oh about even going to the butcher and seeing going to Chinatown and seeing the right, full seeing duck. a bone pulled out of the meat yeah. and those kinds of things. Uh, but I also think it just is a it helps you respect the life of everything a little bit more. Yeah, and respect your own death and kind of realizing that's like it. It, that's it. it. It is a respect for what this animal gave to you, but it's also a respect of like. What are we more than kind of that, you know? And it's also, it's not that's, it doesn't have to be that scary necessarily. It's like, that's this right. is just kind of what it is. Okay. You you didn't bring this up directly, but Joseph Campbell, who's a hero of mine, uh-huh. one of the greats. Um, and I can only think of like three greats. <laughs> and he's one of them. He's uh-huh. so awesome. He talks about all the mythologies that we wrote, Native right. American mythologies, about buffalo, talking buffalo, and making deals with the buffalo. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll uh, let us kill you if we do this for you, and right. we won't kill all of you. All these, And yeah. one of the women will get taken by the buffalo and turn into a buffalo. And mm-hmm. It was all of this reconciliation. But get fucking Dr. Uh, Freud, get Jung, get Jung on the phone, sure. really, Carl Jung. Get him on the phone because this is the thing chasing us in the dream is that we have to reconcile. It's part of the human psyche. It's a real need just like jerking it, Mm -hmm. shitting, bathing, love, food, sunlight, water. It's a real need to reconcile with the fact, the hard fact that all life, including my vegan life, feeds on death. Mine happens to be tomatoes. That's yeah. Everything lives off of killing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a heavy – that's a thing that we're all going around and pretending like it's not on our minds. And just because it's not on our conscious minds doesn't mean it's not on our subconscious mind. Well, I think that that is probably like what our subconscious is doing most of the day is being like, uh, I defragging that stuff. Yeah. It's like, okay, don't get hit by the bus, but we almost got hit by the bus. And if we'd gotten hit, then we're done. It's just, that's it. So fucking a, you're going to go see this movie and you can't handle thinking about the fact that you almost stepped off the bus stops too soon. That's right. All day, or you'll have a breakdown. That's right. But something's got to think about that because so we're pushing it down, and then I and then so. and then we're going. It's almost like the Native American mythology. It's like we'll make a deal with our psyche. Yeah, you will stop tormenting me with the thought that a bus could have hit me. Right, and I will let you watch footage of uh, John Claude Van Damme right. snapping a thousand necks. Totally, and 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 that is the deal we've made. With our psyche. I don't know if that's the purest fuel that can run the machine, but it's it's a low-grade one that seems to be doing the job. Well, it seems like all the people who have you – talked, you've talked a lot about like enlightenment and kind of coming to terms in different areas of your life. But it seems like the people who are the most enlightened are the most at peace with the inevitability of their own non-existence. That's right. Uh, and so – yeah, I mean, it's, those are the. Yep, it seems like those guys really have a handle on all that stuff, and maybe, maybe that's all they need. Maybe they don't like. If you have an understanding of that, everything else is just kind of like, yeah, it, I can handle this. That's right, because this is eventually what it's going <clears> to <throat> be. So I feel like a charge in my life, and I don't think it's really brought upon the fact that I'm 36, so I'm obviously closer to death than I've ever been, and now I'm closer <laughs> right. than when I started that last sentence. But I, I don't think it's because of that, mm-hmm. uh, because you could die at any moment, obviously. Yeah. But there's something, uh, at a certain point I was like, oh, all of life should be spent somehow facing, uh, preparing, 
mm-hmm. and and accepting this inevitability of death instead of what I see a lot of people and a lot of old people, people that are like, dudes, you're like statistically closer than I am. Right. And I see more denial here than than in a young person. Mm-hmm. And and I think there's something and look, we're all gonna die our own death. Mm-hmm. I happen to place value on a conscious death, on a death that isn't pushing it away right. as opposed to embracing it. And this is fucked up or it sounds fucked up. Embracing it as an – you and I love talking about the singularity. We talk about yeah. the panic and the freezing of our bodies or the, or the downloading of our consciousness. Yeah. And then all these guys in the East, all these cultures that are thousands of years mm-hmm. older than ours, all of these guys are going, no, you don't understand – Right. And I quote this quote all the time, and I don't even fully understand it, but I'm trying to. They they say love and death are the are the two great gifts that most people leave unopened. Huh. What is it about your in- inevitable demise that right. is that is being left on the table? And don't right. leave it on the table. Right. I mean, death is a very freeing aspect, and we do talk a lot about the singularity. And I think that there's so many aspects of it that are fascinating. But I think that if something like that does happen, it really is upending the most basic aspect of all life is that it must die right and if we create something that doesn't necessarily have to like what are we getting into yeah not just like the creation of an intelligence like a computer intelligence but human intelligence going far longer than it should be and it already is Absolutely. But I, I think that there's a difference between someone living to 50 and someone living to 90 yeah. and someone living to 90 or someone living to like 600. Yeah. You know? When what's that going to look like? When yeah. you take away millions of years or, or how, however long Homeo erectus has, has been <laughs> erecting himself, which isn't that long. Right. Um, I don't want to sound stupid and wager a guess, but I remember if you look at <laughs> – I saw this great thing about – the history of the of the planet right. as as spanning across our country and like it's great. I, I recommend looking it up. Mm-hmm. And it was like a few inches that like yeah. what we know as man has been right. around. It was crazy. But anyway, if you take out that core thing that we're talking about, that the the idea of life and death and the awareness of death, mm-hmm. and then if we take that away, what does it look like on your five hundredth? electronic birthday are we going to be paranoid that the electricity is going to go off is that going right. to be the new crisis or do we need it is it just sunlight is does intelligence exist but, in energy but then uh, <laughs> you know whenever i get into these hardcore materialists mm-hmm. i'm always struck with how we're we're all driving the same direction essentially yeah meaning you take a good buddhist you take a good hindu mm-hmm. yeah uh, and they're all going to be talking about Life not going anywhere. Um, the, 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 I remember this great quote from a, a physicist who talked about, like, when you die, you don't go anywhere. You're certainly far less organized. <laughs> yeah. you, you can't go anywhere. Right. So we all kind of agree on that, either right. from a spiritual, mystical place. Your or, energy goes somewhere or just kind of disseminates into the universe, right. whatever it is. Yeah. Exactly. And obviously that leaves the question of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I, ooh, I'll put this to you. I was thinking about this the other day because I got worried about death. Yeah. As I do sometimes. As I do a lot of times. Yeah. In my just talk about lucid dreams, I'll sometimes have a lucid dream and I'll talk to people about how it's freaky that I'm gonna die. And they're like, I oh, know. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm even worrying about it sometimes in my sleep. But I'm gonna put this to you. Go ahead. Gonna, I'll you, take a note t- so I won't forget. You're talking with your own 
your own brain. You know what I mean? You're having yeah. a conversation of like, well, who better? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you're the only one that can rectify the whole thing. That's right. But it's it's tricky, and I, I think that's an interesting little glimpse into as much as I can intellectualize the teachings of don't panic, mm-hmm. of you're going to die and, and that's okay and that's mm-hmm. how it is and, and there's even some beauty hidden in there. Right. When you get into my deep subconscious, literally into a dream, there's a little boy going, I don't, I don't Wait, want what? the light. I don't want someone to turn the lights on yeah. in, the, in the slumber party. Like, yeah. I don't or want turn the, the lights off. Or turn yeah. the lights off, which is worse. Or the water to go cold in the shower. Yeah. Take whichever analogy sure. you like. But, um, you know, when it comes to – let's talk about the singularity. But let's also talk about awareness. Mm-hmm. Alan, Alan Watts, uh, who I love very deeply, uh, talks about – if you could see my hand for the molecules, for the assembly of molecules right. that it is. Meaning, nothing's really, on a molecular level, things, there's space in between them. You right. know what I'm saying? So it's not really touching. It's not really matter. I asked Bill Nye, what is matter? And he goes, from all we know, it's molecules repelling each other. Right. So I touch this, and it pushes back, and it goes... Away. Oh, man. But it's just empty space touching right. empty space, essentially. But, Alan, bring it in. I know. And I know I'm yammering a lot, but I'm going to put this to you, I promise. Well, I love it. If you could see my hand, let's, let's make molecules 800 billion times bigger than right. they are, to the point where they're almost like tennis balls. Mm-hmm. So if you could see my hand as a, as, a, as a congregation of tennis balls, you would see as I move my hand up and down, it's moving much like a school of fish mm-hmm. or a group, a cluster of birds. Why, why do we love looking at birds or, or those bats in Austin mm-hmm. flying in unison. Yeah. I wonder if there's something deep down that goes, well, that's me. I'm a cluster of goddamn birds, right. and I'm constantly being regenerated and moving, and yet we all walk around and be like, no, this is Pete, and Pete is here, <laughs> right. and Pete's going to die. To which I say, where in that, in that, if I really am just a whole body of tennis balls, where in that congruence of molecules is my awareness. Where where's is the, Pete? Where's the tennis ball of Pete? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And this is what every good mystic, every good Deepak Chopra debate will start with. We can't yet pinpoint where exactly consciousness is. Right. Where awareness is. Or where, why it even should exist. Or why it even should exist. Or why it does exist. Even yeah. more of a butt fuck. I was just, I, I was on the porch this morning and I said to Valerie, I go, I'm grumpy today. I was a little grumpy this morning. And then I'm like, who is speaking? Right. Who is observing the grumpiness? Right. I can see it like a swirl of purple in my stomach, and I go, there's grumpiness. Right. Who is the objective observer, and where in a school of fish that I call Pete, wherein fish are leaving, mm-hmm. fish that were once me are now you, and fish that were you were right. once Christ, and were once a, a pile of donkey shit, right. and were once a claw of a Tyrannosaurus. We walk around with such certainty... And at the at the end of the day, we don't really know anything that's really going on. Yeah, and it's also it's so fragile. You just like you hit yes. your head too hard, and that's a it's you're just a different guy, right? It's Do you get it. It's like uh, three high fives. It's yeah. I'm it's, fascinated with that. Like the guys who like I love reading the stories about like the guy in like the 1820s or whatever who got the railroad spike shot through his head. Right. Totally survives. Yep. He's fine otherwise, but it just knocked out like this part of him, and now he's like very angry yep. and commits robberies and stuff. Yeah, and they can say like, "Well, that's the part of your brain that that like controls those aspects of you." But it's yep. like, is he still him, or right. did that guy, did that person die in that experience? 
I asked Deepak Chopra, mm-hmm. you can listen to it on this podcast. I asked him, I said, I had a, um, <laughs> I feel so stupid mentioning it because it's no railroad spike. I had a very minor concussion. Yep. What's wrong, though, is I, I flew to Australia the next day, took a bunch of Vicodin, and drank myself <laughs> oh, silly. No. So, really, it was a combination of both. <laughs> like, I had that, never taken pain that pills. That never woke up. <laughs> you mean that one's gone? Yeah, he died on that flight. <laughs> Well, you know, I agree with you. He is dead. That you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, baby Pete is also dead. We can yeah, get into yeah, that. Yeah. But anyway, I really didn't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. I pride myself on being able to let the line out, meaning I know what I'm going to say after I'm saying this. You know, and that's what is helpful for comedy and improvising mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And that was my skill. That went away. The needle was right on the record, and I'd go, "Hello, Miller." And then I'd I'd have no idea where I was going after that. For how long? About four months. It was the worst time of Whoa. my life. Yeah, it was it was not of my life maybe, but it was one of the worst times of my life. Very scary. Yeah, it was right before the talk show. So I said to DB Chopes, I said, "Look, man, I am king awareness. I am king consciousness. I am king. I, I mean, I'm trying to be these things. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be in that on that level, uh, on that plane or whatever. But here I am, and as soon as I had this minor." laughingly minor, like any other country, I feel like, any other, like, let's say, third world country, no one would even have had the time to navel gaze and be like, hey, my linguistic center seems a little off. I should drink more whatever, water. I should cleanse or whatever the fuck. You'd be like, I need to find water. (laughs) Exactly. The cartel people, nobody's noticing. So I am aware of my fucking privilege. I'm just dealing. I'm playing the hand I've been dealt and, and whatever. But I said to him, I was like, what, what of that? Like, my interest in spiritual things went down. My uh, interest in everything went down. I was just kind of like, whoa, let's do Cheerios. Like, I was just <laughs> a more simple person. And I was like, and he said, just because there's something wrong with the radio doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the song. And that's Ooh, what he was saying. So, like, cool. you can bang a radio and maybe the song comes in fuzzier. So he believes that there is an innateness to a human personality that exists outside even, of the expression of it through their body? I think it's even outside of personality, as I understand it. Hmm. Meaning... A soul. Per, personality, a soul. Exactly. Or whatever or, or you want to call it. Yeah. Soul is a loaded word, but I don't right. have a problem with it if you don't. But sure. it, there's, there, that is the observer. That is who goes, my brain isn't the same. It's that sort of core, unmoleculable awareness. Right. That, but, you know, a guy gets railroad spike and, and then he's angrier... I'm with you. There is physiological, material things going on. Right. His anger center has been activated. Right. And, but you would say somewhere in there is still this thing. The personality the might be him. gone. Yeah, the core of him. And that's interesting to me. And then I guess the question also is, is like, if that is kind of unchangeable and inalterable, like, what does it matter you know, like that's a great question. It'll just once this body dies, it'll go do something else. I don't fully then, understand uh, karma. I really don't. Right. But this is a, an Eastern idea: is that you're just playing it out. You're playing the role of Miller mm-hmm. because, for some reason or another, you have to learn something about this thing we're doing. That right. was all capitals. This thing we're doing. By playing out this role. And then if you don't figure it out, you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. Right. 
Who knows? That, and does that is isn't that it, isn't it sad that we have to reach conclusions like that because then you lose so many people. It's like, well, that sounds like hokey. You know what I'm saying? Totally. That's just a that's just one idea. But I think that it's always like, yeah, I think that keep staying open to all the ideas is necessary in terms of finding whatever it is that is true about this existence. Yeah. Because we don't really know if anything is real or true or any of that. Yep. And that's what I guess these conversations are trying to search for a little bit. Right. Shake it up a little bit. Yeah. I, I, Brian Regan did this podcast, and he's a hero of mine as well, a comedy hero. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know too uh, that much about him personally um, other than the podcast. But he was like, who are we to say with such certainty when the next book on the shelf could change every thought you have? Totally. You know what I'm saying? Like that is – Going back to veganism, vegans would love to tell you that there's a video I could show you that mm-hmm. will make you stop eating meat. Right. And it's a video of animal abuse. Right. And that's interesting. For, forget veganism because I understand that's a personal thing and it's an intimate thing. It's food and mm-hmm. there's guilt and there's anger associated with it. Kumail's always said like the reason people hate vegans is because we know fundamentally they're probably right. That they're right. <laughs> yeah. So it angers us. So I understand. But even that, there's still a thing – uh, it's like an orb that will change you and we either see them or we don't. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like there's a book that I could read that could change my thoughts on Eastern mysticism probably. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. TJ is reading these books. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. We kind of go through life like Pac-Man taking this orb and taking this orb, right. going with our gut or our intuition Trying to, and even that is just kind of gray matter stuff, maybe. Yeah. Trying to piece together which, which epiphanies will we have? Which ones will we be open to? But I think that the only thing we really can do, I mean, there's no certainty which epiphanies will avail themselves to us and all those sorts of things. But we just have to keep eating the orbs. Right. And that's the only thing as human beings that we can continue to do is keep searching. And not kind of be like, all right, I'm not playing anymore. That's right. I've figured out what I want to figure out, and that's what it is. Is there anything worse than a stopped clock? Yeah. I can't stand it. I hate – that's why, like, I don't – like, I'll say something like, uh, I'm loud. Mm -hmm. I'm loud. I get shushed at restaurants. (laughs) That's true. But maybe there is a – I have to keep an openness Mm -hmm. to perhaps I will, if it needs correcting, correct or adapt. That I don't like it when people go, I have ADD, <laughs> sorry, and they're casually kind of right. armchair. I'm not saying they actually have it, right. but I, there's always this part of me that goes like, yeah, work on that. Right? Maybe there's a change. You don't have to be a bore your whole life. That's you know? what I'm saying. But this I also is, think that's, it's that's like the glory of being alive. And if you look at human. if I you mean, look at the moment, you really see. You think the map tells you to go down this path. But when you really center yourself to the infinite moment, and I'm not even meaning in, uh, in a mystical way. I just mean here we are. There's arrows in every direction. Yeah. And everything else is, you know, granted certain – I keep thinking about the cartel people. Right. Granted certain basic human needs are being met. Right. Then you can start looking at like the possibilities of these other – Options. Yeah, but continuing to grow, you but, don't have I to be a bore. That, and I don't think that that precludes you from having hard, serious opinions about things either. Yeah. But you, I think that you just have to be open to <coughs> contradictory or alternative explanations to things. That's right. Because otherwise, like, what are you? What's the rest of this all about? If you're not trying to learn more about everything, that's right. I was just thinking about this. Uh, 
I think sexuality is another small. Mm-hmm. I think they're small enlightenments. Orbs. There, I think there are a lot of orbs to eat uh-huh. on the Pac-Man level of sexuality. And I was just thinking about this the other day. I was like, who was I thinking of? I was a friend of mine. And then just for a moment, it was a, and these are the types of thoughts we normally keep to ourselves. But I was like, what if we had group sex with these people, like this couple <laughs> that we know? And then I was like, well, okay, let's unpack that. Certainly I want to see this guy's girlfriend naked. She's an attractive mm-hmm. woman. And the idea of being with Val and this other woman is uh, pleasing to me. Right. Like you're just kind of unpacking it. Uh-huh. And then you inevitably, quickly, and this all happens in a flash, by the right. way. And that's what it feels like to be human. We have these mushroom clouds of internal experiences that go, yeah, and then they're gone. And we don't talk about them. So we're all just kind of walking around feeling lonely. We don't take them apart too often. And we don't take them apart. And I think there's something beautiful about, hopefully, there's something beauty in taking them apart. But then you start thinking about the guy, and you're like, well, there's going to be another dick in the room. And you're Mm -hmm. like, "Uh, well, I'm going to compare my dick to his. And what if it's a big old dick? And. Or, or even more challengingly, what if I'm attracted to his dick? Mm-hmm. Or what if, in the playfulness of that moment, he's like, touch my dick? And what if I do? This is right. all, again, in a flash. And what if I'm just kind of like, oh, it's a dick. It's just like mine. It's no big deal. Right. Feels It's fine. But you're afraid, like Costanza in Seinfeld, mm-hmm. I got a massage from a man and my dick moved. This is what? This is a challenge mm-hmm. to your reality. Right. And we're afraid. What we- does that mean I am now? Exactly. It may. It may. It's. it's We're afraid of it's, eating it's too just many something, words. It's just something different that you're like. I have identified as something. Right. And now there's a possibility. I've opened up that door to something else. And I think a lot of people keep all those kinds of doors, whether it be sexuality or religion or any of those things, shut because they're <laughs> because the idea that they could be something that they have. Other than what they've built up their entire life. That's right. Is terrifying. The brain, I think is desperately trying to protect this identity that we've built. Yeah. We've built this thing, and I, I've spoken harshly of the ego in the past. Now I really do want to encourage people to love their ego. Love, it's a good thing. Duncan Trussell, he really set me straight. He was like, we made it to protect us. Yeah. We made it to get us food, jobs, sex, friends. Not it, kill each other the whole Not thing. all of it. That's right. Uh, a reasonable amount of peace. Yeah. Your reason, we can negotiate, right. we can compromise. Develop, develop cities and develop trade organizations. Exactly. And- I drove here in something the ego made, you know right. what I mean? And that, that's glorious. So that's all good. But I do think we fall in love to a certain extent with this idea of who we think we are. Mm-hmm. And we're, I think when we start looking at all the orbs and talk about arrows in every direction, orbs in every direction, epiphanies mm-hmm. in every direction, new openness – uh, Ram Dass talks about the condition of the heart as it's always expanding, whereas the brain is always categorizing. Right. I'm this and I'm not this. Right. Heart goes, I'll take it all. I'll take it all. I'll take it mm-hmm. all. So he talks about, I've never heard anyone else say this, our hearts being frightening to us. These yeah. things that are irrational, that just want to absorb and grow. Yeah. But when we can go into the heart place, we start eating orbs. But next thing you know, you're a bisexual socialist. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. like, and you're like, shit! Right. Maybe, maybe what? Right. I'll lose love. Maybe my neighbors will mm-hmm. think I'm weird. Maybe I, I won't get food. Right. What is it? I- well, yeah, it's a definitely like a catastrophizing element of it. Like, will my parents continue to love me? Yeah. Like you said, will I have friends? Am I going to become homeless because of this? That's right. Because I don't know how to navigate this new person that I have found. I and keep the Cannon facade from cracking. Yeah. You don't want to be – did you watch Mr. Robot? Oh, yeah. I loved it. You don't want to be the, the American psycho guy. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That movie, I, I love Mr. Robot, but it was Fight Club and American Psycho, mm-hmm. two of my favorite things in one show about hacking, which was great. Right. I'm not trying to put it down by saying it definitely pulled from those two things. Right. But the American Psycho guy, what's so interesting, or American Psycho just as a movie or yeah. a book, <clears throat> what is so interesting to us about the facade, the suit, the hair, the clothes, and the manicure, but inside is the murderer? Like where I think – we're afraid of. Well, I think we all explore. believe that that exists in us, and it certainly does. If history shows, anything. I think that all of us have the capability to be a, a person who murders for pleasure if the right things either happen to us or happened to us in our past. Or right. Talk about a we, day going badly we, because of right. a dream. We get a <laughs> we get a bonk on our head, and now we. Or you get a tumor in your brain, and now yeah. you're a pedophile. Yeah, absolutely. And, that and it's. Uh, I think all of us are afraid of kind of loosing that. That gate. So we're scared. Oh, yeah, I think so. We're trying to play a game where we're at this buffet, but we're at a table with a bunch of other people. And we know we can keep going back to the buffet, but there's some weird things at the buffet. Mm -hmm. So we keep coming back to the table with, like, what we consider reasonable portions. Mm -hmm. And I've been talking about this a lot on the podcast lately, which is what will people think, which is a thing, which is Mm -hmm. a big thing. Yeah, It's a huge governing force Mm -hmm. in our lives. What will people think? Um, again, I guess the heteronormative or, or scared part of me wants to say that I don't want to touch the guy's dick. That's not like my thing. Right. Okay. That's right. just such a scared play on my part. But, you know, maybe it's interesting. But, like, what if I did? Now I'm coming to the table with, you know, something on my plate that the mm-hmm. other people at the table don't have. Right. And it's something weird Lithuanian food. Or I, should, I mean it's foreign, not right. weird. So that maybe they don't like the smell of kimchi or they don't like the smell of sauerkraut or they think it's weird that in Korea they eat dogs or whatever or right. wherever they're eating dogs. And then, and then people leave your table. Right. I mean how many homeless people were just people or how many murderers were people that were just saying yes to every epiphany? Is the murderer the guy that goes – what if the, uh, there was a, a murderer that goes like life? You hear things like that. It's like in movies at least. Our bodies are prisons. There is no real death. Right. I'm killing people, but I'm really liberating them. Right. I'm so an the, angel of death. I'm an speak. angel of death. I'm a necessary killing. I'm a necessary component of insanity, of chaos. What a scary thing. Yeah. So is that what we're afraid of? That we'll become Well yeah, I think that that's I think it's the the idea at least in my mind, that you could get to a place where what I believe is unthinkable now is ac- absolutely rational at, at that point. Yeah. And then I would do things that are completely unknowable to me at this point. Isn't that frightening? Um, and that because my brain is so fragile and my understanding of reality and all this is reliant on <clears throat> lots of kind of variables working together every day, that that could happen at any time. Right. I get a mid-sized concussion and fly to Australia and you kill a couple homeless people, you know? Yeah. Because you're just like, I don't know how to control this and it seems like it would be fun and these people... These people are poor and in horrible conditions and I want to make their lives better because they're going to go do something more. Right. What is it about the killer with the message that almost appeals to us on some level? You're Kevin Spacey in Seven. Like, you're kind of like... That guy's fucked up, but there's something... He's got it all figured out. 
You think he has something there's a, figured there's a, out. There's a confidence well, the Joker, within, we talk within about, him. Exactly. That we, we all wish we had that amount of confidence in the beliefs we have. Right. And the understanding we have in life. And even though he's, he's completely insane, I think that there's still something of like the discipline of it, the, the and, knowingness and, of it. Okay. And then even sanity, that's a duality right there. Sane, insane. Yet you and I both agree that there are concurrent streams of sanity and insanity at, in us at all times. Right. We're making a cocktail at all times. Mm-hmm. And we're dabbling with the levels at all yeah. times. And, you know, again, I'm going to keep quoting Ramdas because that's just my jam. He talks about when he went to India and became this mystic and came back with a long-ass beard and kind of that all we're all one, be one with the universe message. He said, if I had seen me as a patient when I was a therapist, I would have had myself in- institutionalized. That wow. is the eating so many orbs you start to scare yourself. Right. But look at who's – but who are eating the orbs? Aren't the artists eating the orbs? Aren't yeah. the philosophers eating the orbs? I, just because I, we both know him, TJ's eating a lot of fucking weird orbs. Yeah, So absolutely. much so that when, sometimes you, know, you want to be like, hey, buddy, maybe, maybe like re- eat these friendlier orbs. But he yeah. loves going into the dark orbs and he's a genius and I don't want him to stop doing whatever he's doing. Totally. But I think that it's always – I think that as as long as you're able to kind of maintain – and the fear is that we won't be able to, is that we won't be able to maintain ourselves within society mm-hmm. and, the, and the interaction, the social contract with human other human beings and see them as entities who are as valid as we are yeah. in our views. They might not be as enlightened or this or that, but I think that the fear is that <laughs> you may go too far and your enlightenment may – Maybe give you some sort of privilege over other people that that allows you to treat them as less than mm. than you because you are, you you contain these multitudes. So that's right. Well, I think that's the interesting thing is if we are looking at this like Pac Man, which I keep going back to, mm-hmm. I think we are navigating. Uh, we ha- I seem to have some sort of end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Which is I would like to be more accepting. I would like to be more loving. I would like to be more compassionate. I would like to have more peace. I would like there to be more peace, more understanding, mm-hmm. more tranquility, whatever you want to say. Is that a reachable goal for you, do you think? Well, like, just, is there a place where you'd be like, I have enough acceptance, enough understanding, enough kindness? I'm just – those – that seems to be the overarching theme of the game of Pac-Man I'm playing. Okay. Where I'm going to eat this orb. This orb tells me that the same awareness that's in you is in me. Essentially, you are God – and I am a God, you know, peace of God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I love you more and respect you more. Same thing as the insane homeless woman who parked her crazy-ass car on my street today. And that you, you feel those flare-ups of, like, get off my street. That's just like, mm-hmm. you know, the Clint Eastwood of you. Right. And then you also go, no, that's also – this is just a, a choice of perspective. And I choose to investigate that perspective and I go no that person's playing out that part but in them is the same preciousness that's in President Obama mm-hmm. and, and then you can take that extreme I, I'm trying to get to a place where I can be in a car and realize that the same core ingredients or the same essence or same soul that's in someone that I really do love is also inside my family at a meal uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. So that's why I go left instead of right on certain parts of the Pac-Man board. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it, it all, I guess, kind of comes back to what the, what the essence of, of people are, and that we all are trying to kind of 
we're all trying to figure it out, you know, and some people like us are, are really gifted with the ability to have uh, intelligent brains that are able to think through these things and spend time and have leisure time to, right. to, to spend thinking on all of these things. And then there are people who, like the homeless woman, do not necessarily have the time or wherewithal to be able to do that. But yeah, I, I mean, again, for me, it's just it kind of goes well, back goes- to like it's a bad day. This woman had a couple bad days, either in the womb or when she was twenty, yeah. and developed schizophrenia or whatever it was, or it it got exacerbated due to drug use or mm-hmm. some sort of trauma or Isolation whatever. Isolation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. and now she can't she can't work at Starbucks or whatever it is or whatever the the thing that she would want to do. I think they were talking about. It. I read a, a, a little thing about how I, being isolated is actually as bad as like uh, being attacked or something. Really, like, like being alone, way, 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 way too much, and not getting stimuli and not getting physical touch and all mm-hmm. that stuff is like really, really, really. Uh, <laughs> here's my sum- summation: It's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. So you see somebody that's not really getting that part of themselves watered. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I also think that everybody has these kind of parameters in which they can fall into. It's kind of the the nature versus nurture idea that nature gives you the field in which you can fall into, and some of those fields are the amount of stress you can you can take, the amount of isolation that you can allow yourself. Right. Where, like, you see some soldiers come back and they're fine, and you see some soldiers come back and it's just it's really taken a toll. You said grit earlier and stock. We were talking about seeing someone seasick on a boat, and you're not, and you have that part of your lizard brain that goes like, "Well, you should breed with me." You know what I mean? Like, I'm the I'm the one that I have sea legs or whatever. And it's very interesting that we're dealt – and the way that the game is played is we're dealt personalities, psychologies, histories, Mm -hmm. environments. Like like I was saying at the beginning, I'm either worried that the cartel is going to kill my family or I'm not. And you know they talk about the spectrum of of consciousness and I believe the the first step is beige and beige is just survival. Mm -hmm. And when you're beige, you're not thinking – I believe the top one is like gold – which sounds kind of like gold is better. Really, they're trying to say they're they're all equal, but they just are what they are, sort of thing. Right. But you're not sitting around necessarily. You don't have the time to sit around and talk about these things, right? Or think about these things. You have to fight off the saber tooth tiger or whatever it is. Exactly. Make right. Sure. You your family isn't eaten. And this is where you get, I think, broad strokes. This is where we start painting with the with the sloppy house paintbrush. Mm-hmm. Where we go. Uh, be a good person and God will love you and protect you. Yeah. And when you die, you'll go be with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then over here, we have the guy with the fine brush and lots of time to right. sit in his little castle because he's not worried about it. He's eating ham on the bone. And he's <laughs> painting a more intricate uh, – but ultimately, you know, we're we're doing the best with what we have. You it's said still, it. Everybody's trying painting. to figure it out. It's still a painting. You know? <laughs> Those are all real, man. Those aren't joke high fives. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. It's still a painting. Yeah. It won't save you. Yeah. You're still – you're both going to die <coughs> unless the singularity happens in which we – it's all – I mean that's why it's called a singularity. We don't know what will happen. <laughs> Isn't it fun? Let's talk about the singularity. We've been meaning to. If So the, the singularity is Kurtzwell? Yeah. He's one of – he's like the most uh, – I haven't talked about this for a while. I haven't either. I feel like the last time was at the wedding. With me. Yeah. yeah. We talked about it. <laughs> yeah. What is the year? 2052? 
Something like that. It's within the next 20 or so years. He basically predicts it will happen before he dies, yep. which is pretty convenient. I just love how there's something just so almost like Greek myth about a guy who's a genius, uh-huh. who's predicting the internet, right. who's inventing shit and saying – and inventing things – with technologies that don't right. exist yet. Right. Just t- I think I do thought experiments because I'm like, what if I wanted to touch a dick? Right. And this guy's like, what if we had a hydrogen engine and right. then what would we build with that? Supercharged that would- blood cells. Exactly. What if we could make a, a, a thing that, uh, that's so small, like batteries not included, but tiny, that mm-hmm. goes in and cleans your artery yeah. and then just you shit it out or whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you get rid of it. It disintegrates. Yeah. Anyway, so these guys are really doing the work, but there's mm-hmm. something so funny that – it's still a painting. Yeah. Because you can tell fundamentally this genius mind is still going, then I'll get my dad back. Right. Or I'm and live it'll long save enough. me. I'm and it'll st- serve me. I'm going to stay alive and I can reconstitute my father from his correspondence in my basement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea when something like that will happen but it's it is really fascinating and i think that it will be kind of the new when it's starting to happen and i think we're probably in like when they look back we're in like the first levels of it and Mm. have been for the last 10 or 15 years maybe Mm. just because the the like interacting with computers and all of that kind of stuff is becoming so fluid yep uh, and the amount of like biomechanical things that are being put into human beings mm-hmm. are becoming so prevalent and easy. I mean, you can get a knee or a hip replaced and you're in the hospital for like a day. Yeah. And now you have a perfectly <coughs> good working new joint. Whereas right. even 20 years ago, you're like, you're kind of fucked. Right. Sorry. You're going to have to be in a wheelchair or use a walker for the rest of your life. Right. You can have this very expensive surgery that kind of works. Right, right, right. Or it could make it worse. Right. We don't really know. We don't know. We're they're just right. honest. We don't know. Yeah. They Good have luck. to be. Yeah. We have a coin we could flip. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. It's... So we're watching this sort of steel, almost like mercury coating cover us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the T one thousand. Yeah, and I, I think one of the big questions I always like to kind of like wonder about is what is gonna happen. With the idea of like, what is, I think we'll really have the arguments and they will become a very present social argument of what is the essence of a human Mm. because people will start becoming more biomechanical than their original pieces. They'll have a fake heart and maybe fake lungs and maybe eyes that can see just as good, if not better than regular eyes. Million dollar man stuff. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And like, when does that person cease to be a person, a Uh, human being? But this stuff is already happening in a sense. I see with virtual Mm -hmm. reality and with the singularity, I see Again, I'm eating the orbs that I'm eating. So you're talking to the, the guy who's eaten a specific set of orbs. Right. I see a real opportunity for a spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening is you regenerate every seven years, yeah. which means seven years ago, completely different cellular makeup. Right. Yet here you are. Rob Bell, uh, my dear friend and uh, great spiritual author, writes about your dad gives you a boat. And it's an old shitty boat. Uh-huh. And then you replace the flooring. And then over the years, you right. replace the hull. And you replace the. And after a while, you replace everything. Yet, when I come over, you still say, let's take out my dad's boat. Right. It's not your dad's boat anymore. And you're not 
the Miller that once was. This is a completely different Miller. Yeah. Yet, this is D.P. Chopes, too. He's like, which you? And this is one of my big fascinations. Which you? When you go, I like ice cream. Which you? I used to eat ice cream. Now I think it's non-consensual milk extract. You know what I mean? (laughs) I still like it. Get the fuck out of my face. Get me drunk and I'll eat some ice cream with you. But um, that is fascinating to me. So. When we have a bionic arm and when we have bionic eyes and when we are outliving ourselves because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have basically uh, intensive care units on us right. that All are breathing for us yeah. and keeping us super healthy and I'm running and I'm spry right. and I'm le- technically 300 years old or something. Right. I think that only gives us a materialization of a spiritual idea, which is you are not your body. That is – Basic meditation. If you want to meditate the way mm-hmm. of the Eastern masters, you sit still. Forgive me for not remembering who, who came up with this technique. And he, was, and he goes, I am not my leg. I am not my arm. Uh-huh. I am not my breath. And you just repeat this over and over until you're left with the sliver of light and awareness that is you. Right. You get in touch with that. So all the better. Gary Shandling told me about a monk that burned his finger off with boiling oil because he wanted to see that that wasn't him. That like as it he goes, still exist he's still that there. Exactly. So wow. if we're not doing that, but instead you, me, our fathers, our mm-hmm. mothers are walking around with robots, but they're still right. the gushy brain and, and the heart or whatever it is, if their essence is still there, how much more then will we understand that you were never your arm? Well, yeah, I think that, I think that it will create a tremendous opportunity for that discussion. I just worry how intensely the discussion will be fought by people. Maybe. Yeah. Like, people will believe, like, you are not a... I gun yeah. noise. I'm like a child. <laughs> Please keep going. Sorry. But, like, uh, <laughs> like, I think that there's a lot of people that are going to be on the side of, like, if you have any of this... You are not what was intended to be created by whatever this is. So know? these are the uh, ambassadors or the protectors of the original flame. The idea right. that a pure human, human physiology is how it was meant to be. Right. That you are supposed to be in a decaying spaceship. You're not right. supposed to be a robot. People are supposed to live and die within a span of 100 years. Right. And you to kind of interfere with that is – Blasphemy. Mm-hmm. I think that people will really start getting into that discussion, um, and then the discussion of like, and what happens when someone else is able to control the pieces of you? You know, mm-hmm. you have those little bionic pieces in your brain that cleans all your neurons out, and make sure your the neural pathways are the are the right ones, so that you're thinking and you're not depressed and all that kind of mm. stuff. What happens when somebody takes those over and says, if you don't give me $50,000, I'm going to wipe away fifth grade? Mm. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm. I just think it's going to create a lot, of, uh, a lot of conversations. And I don't know that we're having them early enough to keep up with the techno- technological like, Why are opportunities we still learning- that we're getting. Why are we still learning like social studies? We should be learning this. Yeah. This should be children should be discussing this issue because that's going to be way more relevant right. than the ba- the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I understand you should know that as well. But fuck cursive yeah. and get into discussions on where 
I learned love coding and philosophy. Yeah, exact. Coding and philosophy should absolutely take over cursive. We need more things to go. <laughs> I never forgot. The, I think one of my favorite things that I learned in college was, um, and I always, I think his name was Meyer, Jim Meyer taught this English class where we had a semester-long debate. I've referenced this before on what is bread. And, oh, and it was boy. so interesting, the, the way it divided the class. I was a purist. I was like, bread is yeast, flour, water, whatever it is, in a loaf form that uh-huh. is sliced and used for sandwiches and like toast, sure. stuff like that. So I was a conservative because I didn't like where it was going. People were like right. – Pancakes. You could see him being bread. like nothing means anything, exactly. and well, some it's only the meaning we, as, we assign to it. Exactly. And then same. Where is a human? I was in the camp of oh human beings are carbon and water and flesh and blood, and we live and we uh, live a hundred years or less ish, right. and uh, we decay and we die. Mm-hmm. And then other people are like, no, human beings are your brain. And it, as long as we can preserve that brain Futurama style, it's still a human. Right. And it's almost like the abortion issue. Where does life begin? And here we mm-hmm. are becoming a new type of pro-choice. Where does life end? Pro-life, pro-choice. I'm pro-life. That used to mean I don't like abortion. Now it just means don't give me robot parts. Right. And pro-choice people are like, no, I should be able to choose to bionic legs. 300 years if I want to. Yeah. And then what do we do with all these motherfuckers? Right. And it's going to be all the ultra-rich pe- people, too. I mean, the yeah. only people that are going to be able to afford the initial ones will be will be living for longer and longer. The ultra-super-rich will get the nanobot stuff. And yeah. The and then Matt Damon's going to have to visit their satellite planet <laughs> right. and fight them with it with tent poles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll live in, in orbit. Well, I mean, like we'll how— We'll kill each other down here. How off—I mean, is it possible that— I think it is. Let's just say I think it is possible that we give birth to a new race of of super people. Yeah. That merge. We're already kind of doing it. Ask me what any number times any number is and I can tell you. I'll be using my phone. Right. But when my phone is integrated into me. Right. When it's in your brain. Now we have all this knowledge. We don't have much wisdom, but that's uh, I'm right. forcing the uh, spirituality back to us. But suddenly knowing becomes irrelevant because everyone mm-hmm. knows. And now we're just super people. And I forget where I was going with that. But, oh, will we look back on – will there be a term like savages mm-hmm. as we use for the Native Americans or as we use for slaves uh-huh. for people who just didn't upgrade? You didn't click ag- <laughs> agree to the terms and conditions. Right. And you didn't put the chip in your dick. Right. So you're a savage. Yeah. I mean I, I think that it probably – that probably will happen. I mean, we, you already see it now, and we don't call them necessarily a different word, but it's the the wealthy people are able to have medical better medical care. Right. And poor people, you just die. You right. just get cancer and you die. Isn't it crazy? And Magic Johnson can get rid of HIV. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, well, it's amazing. And again, unpleasant thoughts, but I caught myself watching that cartel movie and thinking, well, it's Mexico. Yeah. The fuck? I'm not proud of that thought. Yeah. But you're like, oh, look at all the chaos. Well, it's Mexico. How is that? Right. It's all, those are just imaginary borders. Like, shame on me. I, right. I, I felt a moment of, I said, like, I can keep myself in check. You don't have to hate me on Twitter. But I remember <laughs> thinking, I think we need to get those grotesque thoughts out 
so we can shine light on them and, and have them evaporate because it, it, it's difficult stuff. But we do that with rich and we do that with poor and we do that with race and we do that with geog- ge- uh, geography mm-hmm. for sure. And, you know, a bus blows up in uh, Jordan yeah. and we're like, well, it's Jordan. Right. Because we don't have – It's we're not pa- surprising We're painting with the brush yeah. again. Yeah, we're just like, well, it's over there. Yeah. It's not in uh, it's not in Omaha. And this is Katrina and this is Ferguson yeah. and this is everything. And this goes back to the agent of chaos. And I was mentioning the Joker. It's always going to come up. Yeah. Joker talks about a, a, a bunch of – he says gangbangers get shot up. Nobody blinks an eye because it's all according to plan. Yeah. So these agents of chaos are saying – Hey, dipshit, there is no plan. We're all playing roles. Mm-hmm. We're all just like uh, my brain will protect my identity. So will my culture reinforce yeah. it. So will my leaders. Mm-hmm. So will my sports team. Right. So will whatever it is, is all, especially if it benefits you, rich white old men are still <laughs> going to say, let's keep this rich old white thing going right. for our children and our children's children. And our children. Why wouldn't they? And the poor people are, are, are you know, I, I can't. I have to imagine they're saying, how the fuck do we change this story? Right. Before it gets to a place where it's, un- it's unchangeable. Right. If, it, if that ever happens. But. but this is where you get in like the Illuminati kind of idea that th- – th- I'm not saying that there's really a room full of 52 – Beyonce. Yeah. It, <laughs> Valerie tweeted, if Jay-Z and Beyonce are the Illuminati, I think we're in very good hands. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. But, it, but there is irrefutably, I think – and. Um, a collective of thought uh-huh. that is the Illuminati. I'm not saying we could necessarily nail it down, but it's a story that's being told. This yeah. guy's shot and we take well, it that way. This person's it's, not shot. There's something comforting to the story that people would like to believe that somebody has a plan for all this bullshit. You it know? keeps us on a certain path of work. Maybe somebody dies here or the bu- bus blows up or whatever, but it's like somebody – this isn't just randomness and – hatred and anger for something that we don't understand and maybe can never understand. Mm. It's, oh, it's a plan because we need to put these pieces in play. And there's something at least more meaningful about that. Mm-hmm. It, it may not make it right by any means, but it's there's something that allows someone to be like, oh, okay, there's someone is taking care of this. That's right. That's right. And the more we build those things up, it's another – Freddy movie. It's another another Jason movie. Mm-hmm. We have a system in place to help us with the low levels of radiation panic right. that we see in our dreams, that we see in our anxiety, that we don't seem to have a good salve for. That's why when you – I'm very suspicious of masses of anybody, like yeah. big groups of anybody. I was watching a 30 for 30 episode because even though I don't like sports, I'm very interested in like sports stories. I totally. Think great. Yeah. Uh, I shit on sports so much. I would like to say I'm not a monster. I enjoy a great <laughs> sports movie or story mm-hmm. for whatever that's worth to you. But it showed this kid and I believe it was the uh, – who is the New York uh, hockey team? It's the Islanders? Rangers? No. Katie? Okay, New York City hockey team is the Rangers. So the Rangers won the the World Series. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be funny. What's it called? The Stanley Cup? Yeah. They won the Stanley Cup. And they go into the crowd, and this kid goes, I'm from Brooklyn. He's like eight years old. And they're talking to him, obviously, because he's cute. They're like, are you excited? He's like, yeah, the Rangers won the World Cup. I can finally die in peace. 
So he's eight. <laughs> he's obviously repeating something that his father said right. or his grandfather or whoever. Right. But isn't that a nice little trip backstage? Mm-hmm. The Rangers won. The New York, a thing that isn't real. Right. The Rangers, not real, won the Stanley Cup. Not real. Right. Something we've assigned value to. Yeah. I understand that it's the materialization of an achievement. I understand. But we gave that value just like we give diamonds value or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or gold. Uh, and, then, and then the kid says, this directly salves my fear of death. Right. Because I'm not a speck floating into the void. Or a group. I am a New Yorker from Brooklyn, and I'm a Rangers fan, mm-hmm. and I died today. Put that in the eulogy. It gives it form. It's square. It's boxy. You can pick it up. You can touch it. You can taste it. Absolutely. And I think everybody strives for, uh, for the idea of kind of belonging after they die. I think that's probably the scariest thing for most people, right? Mm-hmm. Is that once I die, I will cease to exist in kind of all forms. That's why... People put their names on buildings, and yeah. they 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 write poetry. And That's right. All that shit, or you know? record fucking podcasts. Yeah. I'm, you know, it takes one to know one. As much as I'd like to say I'm renouncing attachment, you're talking to a guy who records most of the conversations he has, <laughs> and you'll appreciate this. Is fully aware that there will be no one easier to reanimate, at least in a program, that you could talk to me at some point when we're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a hundred years, you'll be in a museum, your hologram face, and you can have a podcast interview yeah. with anybody. You can get a ah, <laughs> or you could just like have little booths. Would you like to talk to Hemingway? Right, would Abraham like, Lincoln. Yes. Would you like to talk to Abraham Lincoln? But how much more than are lunatics like me and you and other artists and comedians and I, writers that are like, oh, here's here's the juice in my bones. I actually. Um, just I I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but I keep all the emails that I get aside from like just straight up spam. Mm. But I keep them all uh, because I think it would be interesting to for someone in the future to like reconstitute it based on reconstitute me. Yeah, you off of my correspondence. What's it? Like? You could write Miller ten thousand. I mean, we have like what? We have like thirty or fifty letters from Abraham Lincoln. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Like, I have 25,000 emails. In, in it's like account. Norm MacDonald's bit, uh, bit about how your grandfather, there's like three pictures oh, of him. Oh, right. And he's so, like, so funny. you want to see 10,000 photos of your, of your grandmother? Right. Like when she was nine? Yeah. It shows when she was nine. We have 10,000. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a good-looking hologram. And imagine changing... But I don't necessarily even want that to happen. I'm just like, well, it would be interesting to, to have the possibility of it. Well, what does it really matter to you? I mean, nothing. Yeah. It's, it, unless I'm still alive with nanobots and all that, to see people yeah. enjoying conversations with me in the hollow booth, then but we're already, I don't really <laughs> care. But then we go back to uh, reproducing and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, artists often, for me, can have an energy of a childless person. Mm-hmm. building names on buildings. It's crazy to me that Trump has children because I'm like, well, that part of you seems to be insatiable. Right. The insistent clanging of pans. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Please, I'm here. for God's sake, pay attention to Yeah, me. exactly. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Give me. Give me. Give me. Uh, I thought children were supposed to ha- help with that, but who fucking knows? But uh, I forget where I was going. I was interested in the idea that if they did this, it would be fun to think that you could 
change the levels, like the movie Inside Out, right? Mm-hmm. So there are different Pete's and there are different Millers. Right. And today I'm very chatty and I've had coffee, but there yeah. are podcasts that I've recorded where I'm grumpy or I'm more existential or, or whatever it may be. It's interesting to think that you could, if you say, and look again at, I would say, the, the mystical lesson in this, if I want to go in the hollow booth, hologram booth, All right. with, it's also hollow, you can get into it, mm-hmm. with Miller Davis... I think the program would have to say which Miller Davis. Meaning, right. did is he it, have a good bowel movement today? Right. Is he drunk? Do you want to talk to Miller the way he talks to his girlfriend or the way he talks to his parents Don't, or the way we talk to one another? This is it, man. This, to me, is all a lesson in soul consciousness. We're all playing a part all the time. And I know, look, when I'm on the couch with Val... And we're watching a movie and we're having some wine or, uh-huh. or even better, smoking a little weed. Yes, I'm, I don't feel myself actively filtering myself. Yeah. But I'm still playing the role of authentic Pete. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, this is me being right. authentic. Right. Everyone knows. This is what I think I am at my most purest. Fucking A. This is who I think I am. Right. And this is who I think I am in this situation and this situation. Right. This is podcast host Pete. Then there's meet my girlfriend's parents Pete. Yeah. And there's job interview Pete. And like, what the fuck is going on? And this is, I, I think, one of the reasons we love movies and TV mm-hmm. is because we go, these people aren't lying to us that they're pretending. We yeah, like we get that. we get to see the the realness of them in some way, right? Even if they aren't honest with themselves or this or that, the the way people behave, I think, is the real way. And that's all a movie is, is a series of behaviors yeah. that kind of play out like uh, just a shootouts or or love scenes or this or that. We're able to to kind of see in them what I think we hope to see in ourselves is there there is a true – person mm. that if it's a romantic comedy that this if we find the right person our real self <laughs> will be drawn out by them yeah if we are a if we're in an action movie if someone we love is in enough danger that the real self who is brave and courageous and mm. and kind of does not fear killing another human being can come out and save them against mm-hmm. all odds mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. It's Valentine's Day. Yep. Uh, this won't come out on Valentine's Day, but uh, we're recording it on Valentine's Day because we don't give up. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting, the idea of what a partner is going to bring to you. And mm-hmm. what you said, I think, is completely correct. What will a partner draw out of me? Mm-hmm. Just like a gunfight might draw out the courageous part of me, won't then a partner who is pleasing to my deep psychology, like mm-hmm. the real sleepy base part of what I think love is. Right. So physiologically, uh, personality, right. everything, down to the smell. Pheromones. Fair, yeah. I was going to say, the way they smell, yeah. the way they, their eyes look. Uh, I often joke that uh, it's not a joke. Valerie looks a lot like me. I was like, great, I get to be with somebody that I love. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to say that maybe there's something in there. Who fucking cares? I'm not in charge. Mm-hmm. There's something base going on that that enjoys that. But then, and again, I was going to tweet something about this, but there's no way to briefly describe this. Uh, Ramdas Rami D talks about how a person we go around like locks looking for a key. Mm-hmm. And when you meet somebody and you say, I love you, uh, or I'm in love with you, he really means you're in love. Like they are 
the key uh, impetus. They are the stimulus that unlocks in me the place where I am love. So we are in That's love. That's great. You put me, if you're Valerie, you also put me in a different kind of love. You're my friend. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> Valerie is my main squeeze. So she <laughs> takes me to the place where I am in love. He talks about love being like a hot tub. Get in the hot tub mm-hmm. with me. And Valerie helps me get in there. So I was going to tweet something. I couldn't think of a way to say this. On Valentine's Day, if you don't have a partner, obviously society wants, you know, a romantic partner, society wants to say that you're missing out something. What you're really missing is what you think of as a key to a lock. But guess what? If you yank on the lock, the lock is unlocked. It's It's just an abstraction in your mind. He talks about we're looking... Like you can train a, a duckling to chase the shadow of a mother duck. It's not a real duck, hmm. but it's just like you send past the shadow of mother duck. It sees the thing that turns it on mother duck, not sexually. Right. And it opens its mouth and follows it. Uh-huh. Similarly, your your partner is like a shadow of what you're really chasing, which is this global, big, capital L love. And Valerie just is the – it's very unromantic – is the thing that helps me get into that place. So I'm saying you can get there without it. Yet yeah. here we are living in a world where go where it goes, if you don't have a Big Mac, you're hungry. If right. you don't have a girlfriend, you're not in love. Whereas love is an, an internal condition and it's a level of consciousness. So do you, do you think uh, that that – the 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 capacity and ability to love lives entirely in oneself, or can a partner bring some element that is outside of you? It unlocks your capacity to be in the love space that you talked about. Yeah, but also it makes the hot tub a little bit hotter. You know, mm. it's it just does this because I I really I think do, it's I think it's both. Yeah, yeah, I really sure. do think that it's there's a, there's so many things when you really find the person that you. That that is so compatible with it and draws out of you the person that you want to be and all of those cliches. Yeah, but that they are they are showing you not only a part of yourself that you didn't know existed, but parts of someone else that you didn't know you wanted. Hmm. Yeah. I think I agree. There, there's a lot going on <laughs> in a relationship, and I have uh, learned and keep learning on this podcast. The the uh, the middle way. It's it's not the hard. Mm-hmm. No, love is just a place, and your personality is irrelevant. You're just the key stimulus, right? <laughs> there's that, and then there's also fucking a. I love Valerie. Like I love her personality. Yeah. I can be aware of her awareness or her soul or her essence. But at the end of the day, God, I just, she sings a silly song and it makes me giggle. You know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's both. It's a little of both, and that's something that I just recently learned. Yeah, and I'm trying to keep a hold of. I think it's tough, though. You know, it's it's tough to kind of recognize the fullness of someone at all at all hours of every day. You know, yeah, sure, it can be. I, I agree with that. I, I something that you said struck me just then. They show you who you are, uh-huh. and I think there's actually a danger in confusing your partner with just another load bearing beam Absolutely. in your in your psyche. Yeah, meaning. I'm like we we've been saying this whole podcast. I think I'm this this and this. Mm-hmm. This person does not disrupt me. Yeah. In fact, they enhance, they Absolutely. help the foundation and they perpetuate the illusion. When really I am trying to love Valerie on a soul level, on an essence mm-hmm. level, on a heart. Let's just say heart. Yeah. Soul in essence we might lose a lot of people, but yeah. just on a heart level, a non-thinking level. Yeah. There's times when I'm like 
I, I sometimes feel like your compatibility with somebody is only part of it. Yeah. At, at a certain point, you're going to have to fully embrace them in that non-thinking way. Yeah. And this is where we get commitment, and this is where we get the, uh, the magic, quote-unquote, of marriage, of the right. idea of, of uh, solidifying something through ceremony, and that idea of being like, preferences kind of are going to be secondary here. Right. We're going to be not in the knowledge category. We're going to be in the wisdom and category. And there's, no, there's no real like rule book or, or way to do that. You know, yeah. We have marriage and those things as, as a uh, signifier that those events have occurred. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell someone how to fall in love with anybody. And so yeah. I think that's probably why it's one of the scarier things that you can do and the most fulfilling. And it's just a painting. Yeah, I love absolutely. what you said. I, I think no matter how I'm painting it, this awareness, heart, knowledge, it's all, I'm all just using different brushes and, and wagering a best guess. And you said it perfectly, but we can't say it enough. We're all just trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's so But, you know, you, you're, you're seeing somebody? Yes, absolutely. How's that going? Uh, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything's really good. And uh, how long? lovely Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, As we... I keep you from them. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's furious. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, sh- we've been going out for two and a half years. Oh, wow. That's yeah. about me and Val, too. We're, we're at three. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think. Might be a more. Yeah, I think so. I hope I didn't get it wrong. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's all right. Just tell her, if you're off by six months, mm-hmm. say we recorded this. Six months ago. Yeah, absolutely. And we're pretending it was Valentine's Day. Sure. That sounds easier <laughs> than just coming clean. Yeah, sure. Well, we this got, web of lies. <laughs> we could also talk about um, you as a comedian and as a writer. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's something we haven't really touched. We just kind of jumped in the deep end. Yeah. But tell, I don't even really know, Miller. I don't really know your bag, man. Yeah. I know you're, you're working on a movie for – can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, we're working on a uh, – TJ and I are working on a movie. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, uh, and a lot of people will probably think after I say that that I sound like him. A lot of people think I do. People say I sound like him. Yeah, I get it. They say like the cadence that, that you yeah talk was is a good. Lot of, that yeah, yeah sounded like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Have an orange sliced beer. <laughs> yeah, uh, Gore Burger. <laughs> yeah, we're working on Gore Burger. That's going great. Oh yeah. Um, and we're working on a movie for DreamWorks, and then I write. Uh, independently, I work on a lot of TV stuff, uh, pitching my own uh, TV ideas, a lot of commercials, yeah. and things like that. How did that come about? Where were you? Uh, where did in, in where, terms of writing when you when you were starting this pursuit? I think it's interesting to people. Uh-huh. Where were you geographically? I was in Kansas, Kansas, Lawrence, Kansas. I went Lawrence. to the University of Kansas, UK, uh, KU. No. KU. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, UK would be confusing. Uh, yeah, and that's Kentucky. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was Great Britain. That's all right. <laughs> or um, the United Kingdom, excuse me, all of them. Uh, but yeah, so I was in Lawrence, and I was a psych major, and uh, I actually ha- I took one film class at KU, and the teacher said to me, if you're not a film major or minor, you should really consider it based on the kind of thesis paper we wrote for the class. Mm. And uh, Why? It was about a deep appreciation of film? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think he just saw that I really kind of understood film and was passionate about it and the ways in which it can kind of influence people and society and mm. all that kind of stuff. 
I was just talking about that with Ryan, uh, with Ryan Sickler. It wasn't Ryan Sickler. It was Bert Kreischer. Uh-huh. We were talking about how I was afraid of doing something, and then I watched Man on Wire, uh-huh. and I summoned courage. Yeah. I think it's strange that a film increased my courage level. Right. What? Absolutely. That's insane. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that they, they're really the way – film and TV now especially, it's like you, you really are able to kind of – encapsulate these really complex emotions and much of the stuff that we've been talking about are you're able to have those discussions in people's homes who would never have those discussions but they're like holy shit that's right that is an interesting thing to think about that that maybe the essence of a person just disappears or it is karmically reborn or whatever right 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 um yeah how am i finding all this stuff it's just through you know, a lot of books, but also documentaries and internet yeah. and YouTube. Absolutely. Wild. But so this this teacher told me that I he he called out an aptitude for all of this, and I realized that it's something that I was really passionate about. So I decided just to get the degree, and then. But in the meantime, I started doing reviews for the paper, mm. uh, film reviews, and then just reading as many scripts and books <laughs> no on, on it and all that as I could. See, even that used to be a postcard to Paramount. With a self-addressed yeah. – it couldn't be a postcard then. But you sent them like an envelope with a self-addressed, please send me a script. Like yeah. I would die for I a script. I mean, yeah. I was able to get a couple <clears throat> scripts from the school and then it was just at the very beginning of being like – there was probably like – you could get The Godfather, <laughs> you know, like a couple <laughs> huge <laughs> right, scripts right, online right. or and like then you don't orders even, or something. You don't even know if you're getting – because with the pilot we just did, mm-hmm. there's the script – and there's 12 versions of that script. Right. And then there's the transcription right, of the what we shot. The <laughs> transcription is not what they sh- the shooting script. No. You should see the first draft. It's so crazy. Yeah. Like the the writer is flowing and changing and a casting thing might change it. Whatever might the change character it. character has totally disappeared or conjured up or this or that. Right. Um, totally. So, yeah, I, I, I read a lot of books. I, I went to a couple film festivals to just kind of see like – who are the other people doing this and to be able to listen to real screenwriters discussing mm. their trade? But uh, a best I, friend dies on the steps of a church. <laughs> you know where that's from? Uh-uh. Adaptation. He goes and sees Robert McKee speak. Oh, yeah. And he goes, and God help you if you have voiceover narration. <laughs> yeah. As he's having voiceover narration. Yeah. <laughs> McKee, I read all that stuff. You read Story? Yeah. I bought Story. That's the real LA thing is you buy it, you I, put it on your shelf, you don't read it. Yeah. You, so you never read it? I read part of it. I didn't finish it either. I read like maybe the first third. I found so many more, so many other books that were so much more useful and less uh, emphatic on kind of the necessity. Read this scene from Chinatown. Right. Like, they don't make movies like they you? made Chinatown anymore. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't write a script like Save that. Save the anymore. Cat, is that your jam? I thought that was pretty um, good. I like Save the Cat. I think it's good – Especially when you're first starting out to like hit the the key elements of what you want to do, mm-hmm. but I like like the Joseph Campbell type stuff. Ooh, uh, I like. Uh, I just read this book called Into the Woods uh, by John York. I think that sounds like a Campbelly kind of thing. It is. It's about uh, it's about the, not how you should tell stories specifically to screenwriting or television writing, but why people tell stories in a certain way psychologically and physio- physiologically. Mm-hmm. And like, so the ideas of like act one, act two, act three, 
thesis, antithesis, synthesis, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. He's saying that's how we process information. Mm-hmm. We we have an idea about something. We see something that that is the opposite or alternate view of that idea, and then we have to push those two things together in our brain to understand what the world is. Mm-hmm. And so it's really really interesting discussion of like. Here's why the rules kind of are what they are. Right. And that's why when people were like, The Force Awakens was exactly like A New Hope, and I was like, Zoom out. Man. They're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't all... a bad thing. There's new ways to do it. Of and course. maybe Force Awakens could have been a little bit more original. A little bit. But there's still some. I actually really liked it. I was like, Oh, they went, no, the, of course. They went the hard Campbell route, and I hear the next one's going to be more outside the box. But it's yeah. still going to be what you're saying. It's going to be. Right. And it's all. I mean, the. There are so many arguments about like what, how many stories there actually are. There's only six stories in the yeah, world, right? All that stuff, and I don't, I, I don't think it's especially interesting to, to have or, that or beneficial. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it doesn't help us. Yeah, I, I'm more a bit more pragmatic of like how does this increase my understanding of what I want to do with these things. I think a good teaching on story shouldn't tell you how, but tell you how how you should, but tell you how you are telling stories even if you are mm-hmm. like uh oh let's sh- I, I just i'm a i'm an auteur i'm a quentin tarantino and i'm just going to write pulp fiction right and then you're like okay great genius right but after the fact we can go look you did this this and this without even knowing it totally because old joey cams would say it's like in the beat of your heart right that's what this this book into the woods is saying is like even the people who shun actively shun guillermo del toro and these different people they shun the kind of this three act structure idea or this or that. And it's like, well, you still did it. Right. Just didn't want to, or didn't mean to. Right. Just, you kind of can't. And, and of course you can tell a story in a way that doesn't adhere to it. Right. But chances are, it will not be as interesting or compelling a story as if you did adhere it to the way we understand storytelling. McKee states. Yeah. I just keep, (laughs) they're not rules. They're principles. Oh, gosh. Uh, but isn't it funny? You know, I always talk about this when people want to figure out what art is, when people want to figure out what comedy is, mm-hmm. or here in this case, what storytelling is. You know, at a certain point, uh, you can get into just the physiologicalness. And I always say this a penis fills with semen, a vagina magically moistens itself, right. all that sort of stuff. But you're not really describing the lovely Spanish flavors you had at dinner (laughs) and the look that you gave her on the way to the, when you excuse yourself to the bathroom or whatever it was, there's so much, there's a, there's room for magic even in the laboratory. Yeah. And again, like talking about people kind of want this, this instruction manual, they don't know how to fall in love. I think a lot of storytelling and that kind of thing. There's no way to tell someone how to really write a good story, I think. That's right. You can tell them, here's the formatting parameters of how to write a screenplay. It's so interesting. You yep. can do this. You can. You, here's how many pages you need to have, and here's right. the spacing and all of that right. stuff. Uh, and you can tell them, here's what should happen at these various points, and mm-hmm. they will write something that is at least competent, you know? Mm-hmm. But to be able to really, like get in there and make something interesting you it's just you you kind of have to conjure it up yourself mm-hmm. and i think that that's why film and television and, and books and all those things still hold such a sway over us is because we realize that the the magic is so ethereal like mm-hmm. it's amazing that someone was able to capture this and put it into something that is understandable to me mm-hmm. 
And why is it so resonant with me? Why yeah. is something that has no direct impact to my life, being Iron Man shooting aliens, right. stir me so much? Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's much more than he's protecting New York. I right. think something is deeply going on. But you're right. You can't tell someone how to fall in love. And we're talking about, again, I, I, I'm hearkening back to the dream, uh-huh. the thing chasing you that really represents this deep need. And I think what's beautiful is in, the, in a true artist, what you're doing is learning the rules, mm-hmm. potentially. That's, yeah. I, I'm just painting one type of artist. Sure. He knows the rules or she knows the rules, yet they reject the rules. Mm-hmm. And they're also simultaneously becoming the rules and listening mm-hmm. to uh, the beat of their heart, for lack of a better yeah. way to say it. Because there is something, you know, I've, I've said many times that my panic my generalized panic, which isn't a prevalent thing, but I yeah. catch little glimpses of it, and it, it's it, the voice of it is, "What if they get me?" Yeah. So we're going in deep where Freud and Jung and all these guys told us to go. Mm-hmm. So we can call that God intuition. We can call that our subconscious, and we're getting our minds out of the way so we can have something truly universal kind of spill onto mm-hmm. the page. And then when you add the arithmetic of structure and discipline right. to something that's far more shamanistic, like far mm-hmm. more peyote in the woods, far right. more shit in your hand. It's and more pharmacology than it is. Pharmaco- Sh- pharmacology than it is like shamanism. What's pharmacology? I don't like like uh, making making drugs. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay, sure. Stuff. But I also more, think there is more specifically like – isn't that what you're saying? Like, I'm also saying there's something primal about get, when I see a shaman putting on a mask and dancing around a fire. Right. I see someone trying to get out of the way of themselves, trying to lose themselves in some sort of bone shaking to and allow whatever singing. is magical to kind of exist exactly. unimpeded. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Why is fucking so appealing? Is because even the brute who's uh, the dad in Sling Blade, just drinking beers and yeah. yelling at the at the stepkid. Even when he fucks, somehow that ceremony yeah. gets him out of his own way, just for a glimpse. Yeah. And that's why this like poor woman who stays with him can see that from time to time. So similarly, I think there's something very deep and extracting mm-hmm. about going in, flying the kite into the black hole and pulling it back, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And the rigor. Yeah. So you learned both. Yeah, I uh, and I'm. I've always been fascinated by kind of the work of it too. I, I really like the 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 nature of kind of going through character development and story and all of that stuff. I enjoy that. It's not always fun. There's lots of days I wake up and I'm like, "What the fuck is why have, I've spent four months on this? What am I even doing right here?" Right. But there's a lot of times where I'm like, when you figure out like the key thing that's like, oh, now this all makes sense. When you mm. are able to like, you put in all the hard work, and then the one small <laughs> piece of magic comes, and you're like, oh, it does. Right. My brain does make sense, and this is good, and mm. all of that. It's worth all of it, you know. That pushing is interesting to me, and I think that's what a lot of writers experience. People talk about butt and seat. They're like, that's the the key rule of writing is get mm-hmm. your butt in the seat. Yeah. And because there is a I'm not a – I don't exercise really. Yeah. <laughs> Light stuff. But like there's a push that a marathon runner understands. Right. That goes, I know I'm hitting a wall. I know I'm at the uphill part, mm-hmm. whether you're on flat pavement or not. This is the uphill part. And I know if I push through, that's where the real rush is. That's where the real achievement is. That's where the true glory is. Mm-hmm. And we love those stories. And there's that drama 
written into writing where you're like, yeah. this sucks. I have self-doubt. This whole thing is garbage. Right. This is humiliating. It's masturbatory. It's gross. Yeah. And then you sit, you keep the butt in the seat, and you break through to the other side. And I think that there has to be an element of like, you don't have to like writing every day, but you have to, there has to be some kind of, I guess, masochistic enjoyment of going through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that the the runner doesn't just run for the glory necessarily, but they run because they know they're going to hit a place where it's like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And they're going to see whether or not they can. That's right. And that's exciting. And it's kind of life affirming and all that sort of stuff. It's giving yourself a little bit of a dragon to slay. It's giving yourself a little bit of a drama. I think there's also something to be said about the deliberate romanticization, 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 romanticization of the struggle. Meaning, yeah, it is very romanticized. Yes, and but that's helpful. Yeah. And that exists in almost any field, I, w- I would wager. Like when I would go, I remember meeting guys I hated going on the road, and they were like, oh, I love the road. I forget who it was. I think it was Gaffigan, maybe. And he goes, fresh towels. <laughs> and he was so right. Whatever hotel you go to, and I've stayed in Super 8s and I've stayed at the Four Seasons, it doesn't matter. They all have clean towels. Yeah. And you'd go in and you'd go... This is my space. So you begin to romanticize. Yeah. I can't say it. Uh, the the down part. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be in a motel in Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. But if you can, I've seen TJ do this. And, and again, I'm not saying that because you're related or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying because I've heard him say this. I would have said this to whoever the guest was. Why am I right. overthinking this? <laughs> I've I've heard him apply that same sort of narrative to shitty comedy condo, where you come up with terms like. I'm paying my dues. I'm in the trenches. Yeah. This is and what TJ would say, you're like a you're going around saving people from their bad evenings. He would add yeah. a like a superhero element. You're driving to Boise to save people from a mundane evening. Yeah. So slaying you're that dragon. You're in slaying dragons. So you're you're that's what people do. So we tell ourselves stories like mm-hmm. memento. We give ourselves meaning, we give ourselves a narrative. And when you say the runner just doesn't run for glory. They run to test and to slay and to conquer. Yeah. You should watch Finding Joe. Great movie. Yeah. Oh, man. Documentary about Joseph Campbell and his idea of slaying dragons. Of, of As soon as you identify a problem or a person or a situation or a ritual that's dis- dis- uh, uncomfortable for you, as soon as you label it a dragon, your, percep- your perception shifts. Yeah. You see it as this shiny, scaly, colorful fire-breathing obstacle that's suddenly somewhat daunting but also exciting. Yeah. And kind of, you know what to do to a dragon. You, you got to go in and cut its head off. And I think that the... I, I, and I, as a vegan, I say that with a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. He deserves that virgin and he deserves that gold. <laughs> go on. Um, I think that it's good to romanticize the bad parts of the job too <laughs> because we are... I think there's a lot of romanticizing writing and that kind of stuff that is not necessarily useful or healthy like mm. oh I'm going to uh, just dr- down this bottle of scotch <laughs> and smoke 70,000 cigarettes and then I'll have a novel yeah and it's like that's not like Hemingway could do it but it killed him you know right like, right, right right like you can you can do that most people cannot and so like the room and I also think like if you romanticize it too much you are avoiding what is difficult in favor of what is 
what is pleasurable. Mm. And mm. the the reason we romanticize the difficult is to make it at least tolerable. Mm-hmm. You know? Is to say, like, yeah, you're in a shitty hotel, but you got those clean towels. And mm-hmm. so if you focus on that, you're able to kind of pull that out of the experience. Mm-hmm. You get through that weekend in Appleton and you don't think about, oh, this hotel is so shitty. Right. I don't want to be staying in this motel. Whatever it is. It's and, all, what do we do with suffering? Yeah. Does it work? For, it sounds like, God, I want to punch myself in the nuts. But it's like, is suffering working for you or is it, or is it debilitating you? Yeah, and we are, again, able to take a very again philosophical approach yep. to the nature of suffering since... Believe me, that's what I was thinking. when I, My whole filtration system for suffering is... Oh, it's it's this thing, and it's your karma writ large, yeah. and it's happening to you, and and there's there's a lesson. Everything is working together for right. your awakening, for your betterment, and all yeah. this stuff. You thought you couldn't survive it, yet here you are, and that's really hard to say when that movie opens with a mass grave filled with babies. Yeah, and you're just like fuck my face, man. Right? Like it's hard. How? Why should I even be able to like think about this? Yeah, exactly. And you're embarrassed, and that's yeah, okay. Absolutely. That movie was there to say, Pete, remember, you have a fucking uh, privileged life. Yeah, absolutely. And to just as you can try and help. Help out the other people that don't have it so good. I was hoping that movie was going to end with somewhere to donate because I was like, what the fuck do we do? I'm, I mean, I'm kind of glad that it's I, – I, it seemed so – like it seemed very much like a nonpartisan. Yeah. Uh, it didn't have too much look of an at agenda. This, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I really did feel like – I don't know that anyone would be like donation to – cartel victims and all that kind of stuff right. is something that is less than wonderful and noble. But I, I think that things like that, it can, it can cheapen. Well, uh, as a film person, I think you can appreciate that it's not an inconvenient truth. Right. It's not trying to say... Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's trying think, to show you something. And I think that the people who are moved to it will they go online. It's worth a Google. That, you know what I mean? Like I just couldn't get over my fact. I was like, what did that family owe? And that's a, that's kind of a conundrum, too. It's like, am I going to pay the cartel for these farmers? I'm funding mass murderers. Right. And it's, I mean, it's, it's such a mess down there. I, yeah. I don't know enough about it to speak on anything like that. Like, it's totally possible. I, I think that the government is either corrupt or doesn't know how to, the good people don't know how to get enough power back to say like hey we can actually do something about this again yeah, yeah. I mean there's towns down there that are just like yeah we haven't had a mayor in like three years because they either no one will run for mayor it's so dangerous right, right. Mm. Uh, I felt every feeling I I was crying at the most expected times but then also it just like strange it's a good movie you should yeah. watch that movie absolutely we're, uh, well we're almost out of time because I'm going to go do the show downstairs Thank mm-hmm. you for coming in on a Sunday. But uh, we always end, even though we've been talking about, I think, the meaning of life this entire time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, how were you raised? What do you think? What is it all about is kind of the basic idea. Okay. What is life? What are we, what are we doing that we're here and talking and we're on this rock and – Space and sure. Is there meaning to life? Is there a purpose to life? Is there an energy or is there some right. sort of order? Or 
is the beautiful release and letting go of any of hope for that? Well, so I was raised uh, kind of – I was raised Presbyterian, though I don't remember going to church that often. We we did here and there, I think maybe once or twice a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my family became Catholic. Just when you guys would like act up. That's yep. it. Right. In church. The, in the car. <laughs> it's um, not even Sunday. You just go sit in the parking lot. <laughs> Um, but then we became uh, Catholic when I was 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big shift in – it was a big shift in, uh, I guess, doctrine, which was not really even a thing mm. and, and the Presbyterian side. And to it's all of it. <clears throat> this is the whole the, – the, um, the rigor of it is, is the practice kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents became very devout. And, uh, so I was, uh, yeah, I was very, uh, involved in youth groups and all that kind of stuff and, uh, going on missionary trips. Really? Where? All sorts of that stuff. <laughs> we went to Honduras once. No way. Uh, and helped, uh, single mothers take care of their kids. Wow. And, uh, I, I formed this little bond with this, with this one little boy and he had like I, what I thought was a birthmark on his face. Mm. And uh, all the little kids, whenever I'd pick him up, would kind of yell at me. And I was like, "Why are you? Why are you yelling at me?" And I realized later that they were trying to warn me that he had a rash on his face, and I wasn't supposed to be picking him up. Oh my! And nothing shit. happened, but I was just like, "What the fuck is?" I mean, like, wow. But I also was like, you know what? He probably doesn't ever get picked up by anybody because of this. Yeah. Like, so I was happy to do it, and he seemed he was so You're excited. Right. Um, when I went to Venezuela, I went to the jungle, and there was this one kid. His name was Pipe, which I don't think was his real name. Right. But he had, like, special needs. He was clearly kind of uh, different. or yeah. uh, What's the right term? You know, he had developmental problems yeah. or whatever. And I used to show old Pipe extra affection yeah. and stuff, put him on my shoulders and stuff. And then I was like, I hope this guy doesn't Pipe on me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It's worth it. He's like – I know. I he didn't first of all. Yeah. I was seventeen, so of course that's the sort of right. kind of stupid thought I would have at the time. Uh, but it was it was very special to show Pepe some love. So I'm sure old, old Rashface appreciated. Yeah, and then we did a stuff where we would go build houses. You stopped a supervillain from being <laughs> created in Honduras. <laughs> that, that place, I mean, it's a gorgeous country, but we it is so so poor. It's, mm. Again, I'm like, I just see where these cartels and stuff can come from. Where it's one percent of the country owns ninety nine percent of the wealth, and mm. the, at the Burger King we were at, people with shotguns circled the this, the perimeter because they're like, people will come in here and rob you if you don't have those guards out there. Really? We were just like, Jesus Christ! Holy uh, shit! Yeah, the place we stayed had six or seven armed guards on patrol all night, and they're like, if you hear gunshots, don't worry, they get bored sometimes and like shoot at rabbits and stuff. And we we're just like. Just tell them to hold off on that while we're here so we don't think someone's, oh like, storming gosh. the compound. Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, it's a beautiful country and beautiful people. Yeah. Uh, but then a uh, – so, yeah, I've done a couple things like that. And, um, yeah, now my I'm, – I'm definitely, like, searching for what it all means. I've I've moved away from Catholicism a little bit in terms of – I'm surprised. I, I don't know why I just assumed you were uh, an atheist. Oh, really? A heratheist. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I've moved away from it a little bit in terms of uh, I don't necessarily agree with the practice of 
kind of the the worldly practice of it, so to speak. I don't know why I'm sensitive about this. You never, we've never talked about it specifically. Uh-huh. So it's probably just because TJ is such a bigot. <laughs> Maybe I, so. That's probably all it is. As if being called an atheist is an insult. I don't want you to think that. No, I, I don't like, think it's. I an got insult a real. To, I don't think it's an insult at all. Yeah, I, no. I, and neither do I. It's. I think it's something that's. Uh, it's just a very, it's a very strong opinion, definitely. Mm. Um, and I don't have as strong opinions about it. And I am like how we've been talking. I really am just trying to kind of stay open to all the possibilities. And I do think that there is. I'm reading this book. Uh, it's called uh, "Why Is the Universe Here?" Something like that. It was a New York Times bestseller last year. Mm. Uh, but it's all about. Why does the universe exist when it couldn't? When it also could not exist? Mm-hmm. What what's flipped the switch to existence from it not existing? Really? So I'm really. F- I mean, what a good question. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Why being when not being is, could have is been way easier. Way motherfucking easier. Existence shouldn't have happened. It's basically. like, like either stay it. asleep or jump out of bed, sprout wings, yeah. and and come fireballs. Right. It would have been easier to stay asleep. Totally. Um, so I'm I'm interested in that, and it's I don't think that it's something that can be answered scientifically necessarily entirely. I think it requires kind of uh, faith and understanding, and I I think that there's something else out there that not necessarily is involved with or controls or even started any of this. But I think that there are just things out there that we don't know and may never. Be able to understand. Dogs um, looking at the moon, baby. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, Isn't it fun to just remember the dogs looking at the moon thing? I think that a, a dose, a, dow, a dollop of humility yeah. and surrender is so huge. And yet, in this yeah. age where we do know everything, well, surrender. I remember Tim Minchin, a lovely atheist. Uh, mm-hmm. I would consider him a friend. I remember I called him. I called something the the not knowable. Uh-huh. I was t- trying to talk about these things that are not knowable, and he corrected me. He went, "Oh, the not yet known," <laughs> right. because he's 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 a it's real a very specific way of thinking, not yeah. just what he thinks, but a way of thinking. That's about right. This. And Kurzweil, I think, would agree the not yet known, like we will know. Yeah, and I I really like the not the uh, I guess more the the unknowable idea, like. When we, uh, when I'm, when my girlfriend and I have this thing, where we like, get we it. We don't think it. <laughs> we uh, we don't know what what we're what the answer to something is, or like who is that person. A lot of times they'll say to her, "I'll be like, no, don't look it up. Please don't look it up," because we get so few opportunities to For have mystery in our mm-hmm. life. I would love to not know this, and and maybe one day I will, but maybe I won't. It, it doesn't really matter if yeah, I do. That's right. It doesn't matter who if I know who that actress is in that movie. Isn't that one of the things of of uh, maturing? I think I've said this before, but I'll watch a movie with Val or, or show, and um, especially like a, a long series like House of Cards, and there'll be a moment where he's like, "Well, if I ever see you again, I'm gonna, and I'll not hear." Uh huh. For some reason or another. And there was a time when I'd go, what'd he say? And now the older I get or the more I kind of surrender, I go, what's the difference? Right. In a good way. Totally. In a beautiful way. What does it matter? Just let it go. Who that actress is. It's fine. Let's feel the feeling of not knowing. Let's feel the feeling of knowing. It's kind and of. the feeling of knowing <clears throat> is something that is so new 
these days. It's something that we really haven't. No one else that who's ever lived has had the amount of information to access that we have had. That's right. So even like my parents, when they were growing up, had no capacity for this. They right. just had to wait until they talked to somebody. Right. You'd have to attend a lecture. Yeah. Now – you know, it used to be the Or cat. they just were like, well, I'm never going to know who that guy is unless right. unless the guy working the popcorn booth knows. Well, I don't know if you've seen my Google bit, uh, but I did it on Conan, and it's all about this. And, and it's about – Oh, yes, I have. It's, it's about, so funny. That would be how you met your wife. Like finally you met someone uh-huh. and they answered that question you were having. Yeah. And that sparked a, yeah. like a, a chemical reaction in your brain and a fondness for that yeah. person that you asked them for coffee and it would change – it changed the way. Like, yeah. I think we're going to see a different premium on things, and we might see an increase in an appreciation for mystery, wonder, and the unknowable. Yeah, because I think at a certain point, knowing everything, knowledge is just going to be the next sports car, and we're going to realize it didn't get us right. There. It and I also, I think that it's there's no there's no end. There's not going to be like, well, we we did it, we figured it all out. Right, pack it up, boys. Yep. Like, I don't think that there's a way we can work towards that. I think everything we find, like, well, we found these gravitational waves because two black holes hit each other the other day. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, it tells us a lot more about black holes and the nature of the universe and all this stuff. But it's like, what does that, what does that mean and how many more questions does that arise? Yeah. And what is, what is it a black hole for Christ's sake? Like, right. All that kind of stuff. And isn't it fun? I guess you can either soak in the tub of mystery – and go, isn't it wonderful that we have something that you can't Amazon one click and that you yeah. can't Google and that you can't Instagram and you, all those things? Uh, the intangible. I think we're going to see potentially a, uh, a resurgence of interest in the primal and the ethereal yeah. sort of base human things. Yeah. But I think that's so kind of coming back to the uh, the, the idea of like, <clears throat> what do I believe? And I, I think that – that the church and all of those things have many, many great things to offer. Um, but I think that it's – especially this pope. I really like this guy. Yeah. He seems pope to is dope. He seems to have a, a good or at least a better kind of appreciation for what it is to be a really like Jesus and all that kind of yeah. stuff. If that's what you're going to follow, like – like embracing the poor and treating everyone with true love right, and, right. and acceptance and all that stuff, I think is the right. way to go. Instead of hypothesizing what he might have thought about gay people, yeah, he didn't say too much about it. <laughs> he yeah. didn't say anything about it. Yeah, it, but it's also like the old pre or the old popes were just like, not all of them have been winners necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a thing that's. I think it, he's a good guy, and I think that he really wants the best for humanity, seemingly. And I think that most people involved in this church and most major religions want a betterment of society, and they just believe that it's through their tenets that humankind will be right. um, brought forth from the darkness, so to speak. Right. I've been tripping out on that lately, which is God works in the approved ethical, mysterious ways that we right. – Decree okay. Right. No fish you know. on, on – uh, or no, no meat on Fridays right, right now. What if God wants to work in meat on Fridays? <laughs> well, I, that, just, I, just, okay. I, I just don't necessarily I, – I think that all of it is like love people, treat them well, do that, and you kind of can't go wrong mm. in any of them. I think that if you boil it down to all of it, then 
And even if you're, even if none of them are right, what harm came from you treating other human beings like people? That's right. And with kindness. Well, this is how, this is the zooming out on the Pac-Man board and we're going to go down, we're going to eat the orbs. Yeah. I would like to eat the orbs and I would like to encourage others to eat the orbs that lead to more compassion, love, understanding, Absolutely. peace, gentleness, kindness. Absolutely. What's the hardest time you've ever laughed? The hardest time I ever laughed? People always tell me I should ask, what is the time you laughed the hardest? I think either To that I say, no one's ever not known what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The hardest I laughed... You could be a kid. I think I was a... The one I remember the most is I was a kid and I was coming back from a a spiritual retreat Uh and... It was with a couple buddies, and it's one of those that really, like, emotionally kind of drains you out. <laughs> I was in early high school, I think. I know those feelings. And uh, and something was said, and it made one of the teachers, who's now a priest, it made all of us laugh so hard that we – one kid threw up a little bit. <laughs> and we were all weeping in a McDonald's. It was just raining outside. Uh, but we couldn't – we we all had to go to separate like one person had to go to the van another person had to like go to the bathroom because every time we looked at each other we'd start laughing so hard that we were really in a lot of pain oh my and i don't God. remember what the joke was and it doesn't really I don't matter even, i don't even think i don't even necessarily know if it was a joke i think it was just like the idea of something struck us all as so absurd in the moment that it it uh I mean, we just couldn't help ourselves. That's so good. Get away from me. Yeah, laugh. You have to. You have to leave my sight. Uh, go to the bathroom and just yeah. wait. Yeah. So everyone that peed in that McDonald's just saw a small <laughs> teenager. Yeah, fourteen-year-old just laughing in a stall, <laughs> or, just, or just trying to center themselves by a sink. Oh yeah, Brian it. O'Brien, right? Ryan Bucci. Those those were the guys. Brian O'Brien, a yeah, Catholic, you say? He, he became a he became a priest. Brian, Father, Father Brian O'Brien <laughs> from Boston. He is? Oh, yeah. Brian he has, O'Brien? He has a video of him as a child. His parents took him, and they all dressed in colonial garb and recreated the Boston Tea Party and then oh. videotaped it. He would show that to his classes. Wow. He's a pretty great guy. That's a magical thing. That is a magical <laughs> yeah. thing. Well, Milieu, this was wonderful. Do you feel satisfied? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for doing it. And uh, we end with everybody saying, keep it crispy. So thank you for doing it and at, at your will. Uh, keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, buddy. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 